0: This is the Cigar Dave Podcast with The General.
1: Long-ass greetings and salutations. A long-ass snappy salute. Semper delictatio. Always pleasure. Long live the alpha. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Screw political correctness. Screw wokeism. Hashtag save America. It is your... Global five-star general, Alpha Male-in-Chief, front and center, Command Center Alpha, Humanor 1A, in the Cigar City of Tampa. And we welcome you to your weekly excursion of Alpha Male lifestyle and pleasure maneuvers. Now, I will get to some big developments in terms of the Cigar Dave Show podcast format in just a bit. But first off, last night, correction, two nights ago, Thursday evening, Thursday night football, it was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Philadelphia Eagles. And after the game, two great pictures of Bucks head coach Bruce Arians, whose favorite slogan is, win or lose, we booze, baby. Loves his crown wa- royale. I will never forget the 2020 NFL draft where they all did it remotely and they had cameras at the general manager and head coaches' homes or wherever they were. They're doing their draft selections from. They had a picture of or video of Bruce uh, 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 of, uh, of Bruce Arians sitting there with, I think, a bottle of Crown Royale and his glass filled up. Absolutely beautiful. And last or two nights ago, after the game, sitting waiting to go on the bus, sitting in a chair, looking at his phone, he's got a cigar in his mouth with a nice long ash. Probably about a two-inch ash. What was he smoking? A second picture reveals the band. A Fuente Fuente Opus X. Clearly, Bruce Arians has excellent taste between the Crown Royal and the Fuente Fuente Opus X. Very appropriate that he smoke the Fuente or Fuente Cigar. Why? Because Fuente is the headquarters of... Or correction, so the Cigar City of Tampa is the headquarters of Arturo Fuente, even though all their manufacturing is down in the Dominican Republic, Tampa is still their headquarters, still their home. And when you think about Tampa, you think about Fuente, you think about J.C. Newman's cigar. At one time, it was Viazon, which made Hoy de Monterey and Punch. But certainly, Arturo Fuente, synonymous with the cigar city of Tampa, great to see. And then below him, there is a coffee cup A white coffee cup with a lid, and I will assure you, there was no coffee. Or if there was coffee, there was a drop of coffee and a load of Crown Royale. And I believe the Buccaneers arrived back in the wee hours Friday morning, probably around 4.30 a.m., somewhere around there. But what a great way to celebrate a win. A cigar and some Crown Royale, absolutely beautiful thing. The Cigar Dave Show is presented by... Davidoff of Geneva, introducing the new Avo Caribe. Experience the journey of flavor created by a synchronized blend from the Caribbean, accentuated with a touch from Central America. Head to the land where palms sway to the breeze of the sea with the new Avo Caribe, available at DavidoffGeneva.com and by Gurkha the world's finest cigars, including the Gurkha Trenta, commemorating 30 years of cigar excellence. The Gurkha Trenta is everything you'd expect from a Gurkha. Exquisite construction, exquisite flavor, exquisite pleasure. Visit Gurkhasigars.com. Last week... On the heels of receiving several emails saying, "General, I missed the 2-hour weekly Cigar Dave show on Terrestrial Radio. I missed that 2 hours where every week I could fire up a cigar, have a libation. If there was college football, I'd keep it on with the sound down while listening to you, but I missed that weekly ritual." So last week I said, "Look, we'll bring the Cigar Dave show back. We'll do a one-time, we'll do a one-time show and we'll see how it goes." And then I casually said, look, if you like the format, just send me an email or send me a post on social media, CigarDave at CigarDave.com or Twitter at Cigar Show, Facebook at Cigar Dave. I said, go ahead, just drop us a note, let us know what you think. I thought we'd get a couple of notes saying, yeah, it was great, you know, enjoyed it. Well, I was truly amazed at the overwhelming response, the emails were just uh, massive. I'm scrolling through some of them now, and they're still coming in over a week later. But here's one from Lieutenant Pete. General, you hit it out of the park. Saturday, excellent show. Here is Lieutenant Bryce from North Carolina. Yes, he's back. October 9th, political correctness be damned. Sitting on my screen porch, greatly enjoying the Cigar Dave podcast. Keep them coming. Here's Lieutenant Bill from, I believe he's North Carolina, says, Dave, just reaching out as you were looking for feedback, my girlfriend and I both prefer the two-hour Saturday show. It gives us sufficient time to sit, relax, get in the hot tub, and enjoy two hours of relaxation and entertainment with football on in the background. Keep up the fine work. Hey, two hours in the hot tub with your harem of one, if I can assist in additional sexy time maneuvers. It is my pleasure. Here's another one from Adam. It's like the old days. I mean, they just kept coming on and on. My two cents from Lieutenant C.D. He says, please bring back the two-hour Cigar Dave show. It had the right balance of Cigar Talk, current events. Great work. Long live America, Lieutenant Boca Bruce. Yes, please bring back the Saturday long show. I am loving it. Here is Colonel David, USMC, retired. He said, I welcome the two-hour Cigar Dave show format. Believe it's a great idea for years. I look forward throughout each week to the respite, the Cigar Dave show provided on Saturdays, and also enjoyed listening to the podcast. If I missed the live show or simply wanted to listen again, I also listened to Bold Alpha. Hope you continue to present a combination of both shows. Some news and information is worth revisiting for its importance and widest dissemination if the shows should overlap. Warmest regards, Long Ashes. Hope the feedback helps. Colonel David, and he said, Semper Fidelis, P.S. Looking forward to the next Alpha Pleasure Fest. Well, that's something we also may bring back. We don't want to do a ton of them, but maybe we'll bring back one big one. Again, the comments that we just kept getting just over and over, same thing with social. I mean, I could go on and on for probably the next hour. Social media on Twitter, Facebook, Facebook, tremendous feedback. People said, yes, General, I've been saying how much I miss your long Saturday broadcast, miss lighting up, having a drink, listening to your wise pontifications. All right, so after all the positive feedback, we had no negative, by the way. We didn't even have a member of the pleasure police slip through the cracks. So here's what we will do. We will start doing the long-form Cigar Dave show we release every Saturday. Our Bold Alpha Weekly Spirit Celebration, we will drop Thursday afternoons. So we will still continue those with Tommy Diadio. Tommy D. We'll continue to drop those on Thursday. So instead of a Weekly Spirit Celebration Saturday, the Bold Alpha Spirit Celebration moves to Thursday, and we will drop the Cigar Dave Show podcast on Saturday, late morning, Eastern time. So by noon... Should be posted. We'll probably drop it by about 10 a.m. because sometimes it takes a couple hours. So we'll get in here nice and early. We will uh, record the show and we will make sure that drops. But here's the deal I'm going to make several caveats to that statement of doing it every week. We will do it most weeks, but I will not guarantee that we will do it every week. Because there are times, one of the reasons after 25 years, I said, look, after doing the show 25 years, We wanted to maybe step back and do some other activities and other maneuvers, and we wanted to get into the podcast genre. So we have successfully made that transition. But clearly, people love the two-hour long-form Cigar Dave show. So with the caveat that it may not be every week. It'll be most weeks. But, for example, on certain holiday weeks, maybe between Christmas and New Year's, maybe we don't do two shows. Maybe we do one show. We'll do our annual sparkling wine and champagne tasting and we'll keep that up obviously it's up in perpetuity but we'll drop that maybe around Christmas time and that will essentially wrap up the year there may be other times throughout the year maybe in the summer where I look and say you know I got other things going on other activities other pleasure maneuvers I would like to undertake so we may not do a long form but on those weeks if there's something going on that I would like to pontificate about we will still do a bold alpha so that's why it's imperative that you subscribe not only to the Cigar Dave Show podcast, but also the Bold Alpha podcast. If you have not done so already, do a search, whatever podcast engine you use, whatever podcast app you use, whether it's Google, whether it's Apple, whether it's Spotify, whether it's iHeart, do a search for Bold Alpha, subscribe, you will not miss an episode. And by the way, make sure you give us a five-star review, if you will, and put some comments. We would greatly appreciate that. Because as you know, the enemies of pleasure, the pleasure police, every so often I'll notice they'll come in with a one star and they'll make a snide comment. We know who they are. We know they're the enemies of pleasure. We know they're the wussified beta males that we offend. So we need all of the alpha males and lieutenants from the Cigar Dave Show and Bold Alpha to make sure their voices, your voices are heard. Now here's the other thing. Every so often, I'll receive communications, communiques from our listeners. That will say, General, love the show, but I want more cigar, or I want more this, or I want more that. Let me make something very, very clear. When we started the show, the initial name of the show, July 8th of 1995, I start with one hour in Tampa. The name of the show was Smoke This. That's all we talked about was cigars. And we did that for a couple of years, but something happened along the way. When you smoke a cigar, you are always engaged in other activities or other conversation. You go to a cigar lounge. You are with fellow cigar connoisseurs. You're with fellow alphas. What are you doing? You're having conversation maneuvers. You're talking sports. You're talking politics. You're solving the problems of the world. Maybe you're watching a football game. Maybe you have people over and you're firing up the grill. But you're never just sitting there, smoking a cigar, doing nothing else. You're always in conversation. You're you're engaged in the politics of the world, the current events. I always say, alpha males, cigar connoisseurs, we are educated, we are intellectual, we are up on current events. We can talk about anything whether it's politics, whether it's sports, whether it is culture, whether it's world events, current events, spirits, cigars, gambling, dames, whatever the subject material. We're all learned. We're all well-versed. That's part of being a cigar connoisseur. And by the way, that has nothing to do with your income. Whether you make 20,000, 200,000, 200 200 million, or 200 billion, or 200 trillion, as Bernard Sanders would say. Billions and trillions. You people who smoke cigars, you are billionaires and trillionaires. Every American should have the right to smoke a good cigar at a good price. I agree, Bernard. But no matter what your education level and what your income level, we as cigar connoisseurs, as alphas, It goes without saying, we are the most learned, most intellectual, the smartest people on the planet. Because we have open minds. We engage in knowledge. We engage in continuing education. And that doesn't mean in a classroom. It can mean reading a paper, checking out a website, uh, doing research. So I will receive on occasion emails from listeners saying, General, stick to cigars. Don't get into politics. Don't get into current events. Don't do this. Stick to cigars. I want to make this very clear. We are not a cigar show. We discuss cigars. Everything revolves starting around the cigar. We smoke a cigar. We light a cigar. We talk about other items. That is the, if you take a look at the universe of this show, And think of what is the sun. It is the cigar. That's what bonds us all together. So the sun of this show is a cigar. We start there. But then when you look at the ring of planets that circle the sun or on the show circle the cigar, we have spirits. We have gambling. We have dames. We have politics. We have current events. We have grilling. We have Unteen other topics and subjects that all comprise that universe so the cigar yes is the Sun it is the center of the Cigar Dave show universe but there's so many other topics and other subjects and other conversational maneuvers we undertake that are part of that universe now if you want to listen to a cigar show only where all they talk about is cigars and talk about manufacturers and insider baseball, as I like to say, that the consumer, a cigar connoisseur, could care less about. There are plenty of other podcasts that you can check out. But there's a reason we are the number one listened to podcast in the cigar lifestyle arena. And when I say cigar lifestyle, that includes all the subjects that I just mentioned. Spirits, grilling, politics, gambling, current events, society, culture, you want to go listen to two hours of people just talking cigars, there's somewhere else to go. But there's only one spot that has been on the air or been available in digital form, whether online or in podcast form, for 26 years where we have an expanded universe where the cigar is the star, but there are other stars around it. So when I receive emails from listeners saying, General, stick to what you know, cigars. Excuse me. I'm a very knowledgeable individual, as are all of you in other subjects. I assure you that when you are out and about and somebody sees you smoking a cigar and somebody says, hey, what would you think about that debate last night? Or what do you think about what's going on in Washington? Hey, what would you think about that game last night? And you start giving your opinion. I'll assure you that the other person you're talking to says, you don't have the right to an opinion, just stick to to talking about cigars. Just stick to smoking cigars. It's absurd when I get these comments, and they're very few and far between, but I wanna make it very clear. We are not a cigar show. We are a cigar and alpha male lifestyle show. Now the good news is 99.9% of the alphas, lieutenants that are listening right now, that you are listening, whether you're in your car, you've got your earphones on, you are in your home with a little Bluetooth speaker. You could be in your shower. Let's face it, today with podcasts and being able to listen anywhere, any place, anytime, you can listen in the shower, you can listen in the pool, you can listen to the hot tub, you can listen playing golf, you can listen while you're walking, while you're working out. Now, if you're listening while you're enjoying horizontal pleasure maneuvers with your harem, I would say hit the stop or the pause button. You, you are given a pass not to listen to this show while you're engaging in banging maneuvers. That has to take precedence. I'm a reasonable five-star. Dames always take precedence. But for those of the very, very small percentage that say, General, do not engage in other conversation. I want more cigar talk and less everything else. We are not the right fit for you. And therefore, we will gladly say, goodbye, we wish you the best. And people are saying, I'm sure, wait, General, you're you're willing to let listeners go? The answer is yes. After 26 years of conducting broadcast maneuvers and hosting maneuvers, you have to realize one thing, you will never please everyone. There will be a small percentage that will complain no matter what you do. Too much cigar talk, too little cigar talk. Too, too too, much on one particular type of cigar, one country, one this, one... They will never be satisfied. Remember, as alphas, we always look at the glass half full. What do betas do? An enemies of pleasure. The glass is always half empty. That's the difference. As alphas, we are always positive. We always look at things and say, hey, there's a bright side to that. Whereas, let's face it, the betas... They're miserable they are happy they are miserable at you they're angry at you because you smile you love cigars you're a carnivore they despise everything about us i'm sounding like brainless bryden right now slow joe they despise everything about us come on man no really my father used to say joey they just made us despise alphas no no i'm serious got to get out of brainless Biden slow Joe talk. But that is the truth. They despise us. Why? Because they can't be one of us. They can't be happy. They can't be successful in whatever their chosen endeavor is. They can't enjoy cigars. They can't enjoy the company of beautiful women. They can't enjoy spirits. They can't enjoy sports. They are just miserable. And they don't understand why we as alphas are always so positive we're always cheerful, that we always look at the bright side, that we always try to turn a negative into a positive. So I've learned you have to just shrug them off. I take my hand like they're a little fly, a little gnat, and just just whack whack them and get rid of them. So if I receive any emails or comments from people saying, General, too much cigar talk, too little cigar talk, too much politics, I do this show for me. And I know people say, "Well, wait a minute, you can't do it for the you got to do it for the whole audience." What has been successful for 26 years is what is an alpha male. What is an alpha male with nads of steel that loves the alpha male lifestyle? What would interest me? So I essentially talk about topics which would interest me. Now, I've never done any scientific studies on this. I've never done research, I've never done consumer research. I didn't have to. You have a gut feeling. As an alpha, you use your gut. And along the way, I saw what works. And I realized people would respond, saying, hey, General, I like when you do spirits. I like the political talk. I like when you have some of this. We're a variety show. You're going to get some a little bit of everything. We're a smorgasbord of knowledge on The Cigar Dave Show. And proof of that is let me give you some of the topics that I will be covering. I'm going to talk about John Gruden's exodus after emails were leaked, private emails, after he was forced to resign, and I'm using air quotes. We've dug up a very interesting, you know, we're in cancel culture, so anything you say, five years, 10 years, 50 years ago, can be held against you. Well, Chris Collinsworth was interviewed for a Cincinnati lifestyle television show, and we've got a fascinating audio soundbite we have uncovered, absolutely grounds today for hashtag me too, hashtag cancel him. I don't believe he should be canceled, but we're going to play that. I'm going to talk about Daniel Craig. He says he goes to gay bars to avoid fights at straight venues. And as part of that, the last James Bond movie that he's starring in, which was just released, No Time to Die, I've got some commentary about James Bond. I believe they are wussifying James Bond that, the Hollywood wokesters are attempting to wussify and betafy James Bond. They despise James Bond. They despise what he represents. We're gonna hit that. And then I'm gonna move over to talking about the Wuhan virus. There's an interesting syndrome that has been discovered by Japanese researchers. I'll mention that. And then last week, you will recall, I spent a tremendous amount of time talking about Merck's new supposed wonder drug against the Chinese Communist Party Wuhan virus called Molnupiravir and how they are touting it that it's a miracle breakthrough and they're going to fast track it to get approval. Well they have already requested authorization for a pill that has not been tested fully has a very meager success rate and is going to cost a boatload of money by taxpayers to pick up the tab even though taxpayers spent 29 million developing getting this particular drug researched and discovered and then we are going to feature a cigar masters segment Abe Flores founder and proprietor of PDR cigars down in the Dominican Republic great success story One time they were making 8 million cigars, now they're making four. Just beautiful cigars, beautiful packaging. We'll talk with Abe. Fascinating story. Part one of a two-part interview that will run this week and in next week's Cigar Dave show. So we are a variety of multiple topics. We've got some politics. We've got some current events. We've got some alpha male bashing that's going on. We've got uh, some political correctness and wokeism going on. We've got a little bit of everything. So for me to continue, here is my caveats. Number one, it will be most weeks, may not be every week. Number two, we don't just talk cigars. I will talk about the topics that interest me that I believe will interest you. It has been a formula for success for 26 years. And if you want just cigar talk, you want to know just the insider manufacturer information. You want to know who's going where and what, what sales rep is going here. There are plenty of other shows you can go. But there's a reason we have a far bigger audience, because we appeal to a far wider group of alpha males and connoisseurs. I never apologize for our format. I never apologize for how we conduct our broadcast maneuvers. Nobody, nobody, has been doing a genre of alpha male lifestyle conversational maneuvers that include cigars and spirits and political incorrectness and fighting the pleasure police than yours truly, nobody. All the other ones came about later and I wish them well and I've got a number of people that said, well, General, do you listen to this? I said, no. And they said, well, what do you think of all these people coming and doing? I said, hey, great, the more the merrier. I set the tone. I, I was the trendsetter. I said imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. I have absolutely no problem because I've always focused on one thing, delivering the best, most entertaining, most topical, compelling show to our listeners, to our audience that I can possibly deliver. We have some seriousness, we have entertainment, we're, uh, we're, we're politically incorrect, some people find it offensive, we never apologize. We never apologize for our opinions. I have stated that to you, don't ever apologize for having an opinion. If you have an opinion, back it up, don't apologize. People are gonna be offended today at anything. If you say good morning to them, and they're not morning people, but they prefer getting up at noon, they'll be offended. If you say to somebody, boy, I love that, that dress looks great, oh, I'm offended. Screw them. Always live your life for yourself, Never seek approval, and never apologize. If you do those three things, you will be happy. And realize you cannot please everybody. So for 26 years, we've had a winning formula. Clearly, I am humbled that the amount of emails and social media posts that I received saying, General, yes, do your long-form show. It's not going to be two hours every week. Could be an hour. Could be an hour ten minutes. Could be 45 minutes. But it will be the long-form Cigar Dave show on most weeks most weeks. And frankly, I miss doing the long form. I love doing the bold alpha, but I also miss doing the long form where I can conduct litation, libation. We get a little bit of everything. Now, we've also had listeners saying, General, I miss the conversation. I miss the opportunity to talk to you. So we will maybe set up times during the week where we will take your calls. If you're interested and having a conversation, whatever, on any subject, whether it's cigars, whether it's spirits, political correctness, politics, shoot me an email, cigardave at cigardave.com, and go ahead, include what you'd like to discuss and a phone number we can reach you, preferably a cell number so we can get you anytime. Sergeant Steve, I think we can probably get that, that technical logistic worked out, correct? Absolutely. Great. So people also said we missed the interaction. Now, the problem is is that when you're not doing a show exactly at 12.06 Eastern time every week, sometimes we'll record at 8 in the morning, sometimes 7.30, sometimes 9.30, even could be 10 a.m. There are times we may have to do it Friday. But we do want to interject our listener callers and opinions. So if you would like to be on the show, if you would like to have your question answered, if you'd like to voice a commentary, We will get to you. We will set up a time where we're going to do a recording and we just bang out all these calls and then we will include them throughout the course of the week. And I miss having the interaction with our lieutenants, with our alphas. So drop me a line, cigardave at cigardave.com, what you'd like to discuss. And again, I'm not going to, you can, anything you want. One of the things I always said, I'll never forget, our lovely call hostess for many years, Ms. Kate, somebody would call. And she said, General, I have, I have, in her wonderful British sexy accent, General, I have, I have a caller, a listener on, on, on line seven that so vehemently disagrees with you. He's very perturbed. Sh- should I put the call through? I'm like, Miss Cate. absolutely. We engage in debate. I never run away. Whether somebody agrees or disagrees, I was I enjoyed debate. Now, most of the time, I would win the debate because, again, I always dealt in fact, not in fiction, not in fairy tales but anything you'd like to talk about whether it's a specific cigar commentary about what's going on currently with the government with uh, with with the attacks on on meat the attack on cigars the attack on alpha males whatever it is just a quick line what you'd like to discuss name just need your first name where you're where you're from and the daytime phone number a cell number that we can get a hold of you because and also we'll have your email so we will get a hold of you we'll set it up and this way, maybe once, twice a month, we'll record a whole bunch of calls and we will include them. So I do miss the interaction. I'd love to get more interaction. And certainly, look, I have missed doing the long-form show, the Cigar Dave show. So we will bring it back. You know my caveats. We hope that satisfied people. We know it will. We know almost all of you will say, yes, we're thrilled. And look, the ultimate reality is that there may be times when we don't do it, but we may do a shorter form, or there may be times when something happens, and in that case, maybe I'll do a quick Bold Alpha segment that could be three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes that we can drop during the week. So again, make sure you're subscribed to both The Cigar Dave Show and Bold Alpha podcasts. All right, when we return, John Gruden. Now John Gruden, stated opinion. I'll get into my take, because again, I believe he was set up, I believe he got shafted. Yes, maybe his opinions were controversial, but we'll get into it in only the way that I can in a politically incorrect manner. Much more coming your way, the Long Form Cigar Dave show is back, here's the deal. You must tell five of your alpha male friends You must tell them, you must tell them about the show, you must tell them to subscribe. We need you as our alpha army to go out there and spread the word. You wanted the long form back, we're giving it to you, but now you have to spread the word. So any cigar store you go to, when you go to a sports event with your buddies, or you're going for a steak dinner with your fellow alphas, make sure you tell them spread the word. Social media postings, word of mouth, Cigar, Dave Show, Long Form is back. They need to subscribe, listen, give us their comments. Five star review. Avo Cigars has just launched the newest addition to the Avo Synchro series entitled the Avo Synchro Caribe. Fourth line in the Avo Synchro series it is centered around the concept of tobacco synchronization. They incorporate the diversity, complexity, and compatibility of cigar tobaccos from the Caribbean and Central America to create a natural harmony, a Caribbean soul, a very dynamic cigar. It uses natural distribution. What does that mean? The proportions of the cigar tobaccos on any given plant perfectly matched in the blending process. So what you get is a Dominican wrapper You get filler tobaccos from Nicaragua, a binder from Ecuador that are matched absolutely perfectly. The taste, a lively, dynamic, harmonious flavor profile of Caribbean flavors, aromatic spices, some complex cocoa, a beautiful medium-bodied cigar with subtle sweetness resembling tropical fruits. The flavors, rhythm, and lifestyle of the tropics are encapsulated in the new Avo Synchro Caribe, available now at your cigar retailer or DavidoffGeneva.com. Well, good old Spider... Uh, Sergeant, Sergeant Steve, what's the what's John Gruden? He's known for that play. What is it, 52 Spider-Y Banana? Isn't it Spider-Y Banana or Spider-2-Y Banana or 65 or something? Look, man, Spider-2-Y Banana. I don't do the best John Gruden impression. I mean, Caliendo is the king. But Spider, White two banana? Look, man, you're going to be a quarterback? Then show me. I mean, some of, watching him on some of the NFL film stuff, kind of interesting. Now, I know players that have played for Gruden. Some like him, some dislike him. But I'll say this about Gruden. I'm not a big fan. He's never once developed a young quarterback, ever. He was with the Buccaneers. He went through what, five quarterbacks? Never developed a quarterback. Now, he inherited Carr, quarterback Carr in Vegas. Well, before that, Oakland, with the Raiders. Good quarterback. Now, of course, I think Gruden's one of these guys that no matter what quarterback he has, he's always got his eyes looking at someone. He always wants the bigger, better deal. You know, like if he could get Josh Allen or Mahomes, boom, he'd get rid of Carr in a second. But you watch Carr, he's been a pretty good quarterback. And he's played, I think, under, I don't know, five coaches, six coaches in the last, I don't know, seven years, eight years, whatever it is. But the kid can play. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. So this week, or actually last week, last Friday, a story breaks that an email that was sent to Bruce Allen, the former general manager... I believe the president of the Washington Redskins. We don't call them the Washington football team here. It's the Washington Redskins. I mean W F T Washington football team. Give me a break. It's the Washington Redskins. They will always be the Redskins. I will never stop calling them the Redskins. If people find that offensive, too damn bad. Now, there was this all goes back to an investigation of the owner of the Washington Redskins, Daniel Snyder. For years, there was talk within the organization of mistreatment of women, bad hostile work environment, all sorts of allegations. So as part of the NFL's investigation, Snyder, number one, agrees to step back. His wife becomes the chairman, chairwoman, whatever, CEO, whatever it is. He steps back. He technically has no involvement. That was part of a deal. I think he can't, he stepped away for two years, I think. Sergeant Steve, correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't it he stepped away? I don't know if it was indefinitely or two years, whatever the case is. That sounds about right. Yeah. So as part of that investigation, they hire a high-priced New York, Washington law firm. They go through every email over the last, I don't know, 11, 12 years. 650,000 emails. 650,000 emails. Yet magically when the law firm wrapped up their full review of their investigation, the emails, interviews with employees, former employees, back in June, June, July, August, September, into early October, for four and a half months, not one leak about what was stated in any of the emails, what Dan Snyder did or didn't do, not one leak. And essentially the league said, okay, we see that there's some issues, and uh, they have to change the culture, so Dan Snyder's wife's coming in, and that was pretty much the end of it. I don't believe there were fines. I don't believe they were making him sell the team. That was kind of the end of it. Yet magically, last Friday, what happens? An email is dropped to to the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, in which John Gruden, goes after DeMory Smith, who is the executive director of the NFL Players Association. Now, before we go into the email, you have to take a look at what event took place, events took place towards the end of last week and why this was not a coincidental leak. DeMory Smith had been under fire from the Players Union members, all the NFL players, for caving into the NFL for the COVID protocols, making everybody get vaccinated, cave to the NFL in terms of a 10-year deal. And the deal passed, but there were a lot of players. There was – it didn't pass – Sergeant Steve, do you remember what the vote was? It was something like what, like 54%, 40 something like – it was not a big – Yeah,
2: it was barely you, over 50.
1: Yeah, it was barely over 50. So it wasn't the type thing where you say, man, they got 70% overwhelming. It was pretty close. I know that Tom Brady was very vocal. There were a number of players that were vocal. It passed. So his term, I believe he had a five-year term, four-year term, whatever it is. His term is up for renewal. It has to go first to the executive board. If the executive board votes unanimously, I believe, uh, or or majority, then I believe that they can offer him a contract. Well, it was split down the middle. Therefore, it had to go to the full board of directors where a vote in favor of retaining DeMaurice Smith for another four or five years was not assured. But the NFL had a vested interest in making sure that DeMore Smith was retained and voted in for another term. Why? Well, they were able to get labor peace for 10 years. They got their deal through, very favorable deal to the NFL. They got the COVID and vaccination mandates through. So this was a quid pro quo, a payback, saying, look, we know the devil that we've got to deal with. We'd rather have him for another five years, four years, whatever the case is, because we already know who he is. Now, there's a lot of criticism of DeMory Smith. A lot of players don't like him. A lot of owners don't like him. A lot of media types don't like him. But magically, on Friday, before the full board is re- ready to take a vote... This email drops, actually I think it was Thursday night, maybe it was Friday, email drops. And he had a derogatory term for Demory Smith regarding his lips and, and, and basically derogatory. Now would I have said that? Would I have written that? Absolutely not. If I didn't like him, what I would have said is, hey look, I don't think Demory Smith is too bright, I don't think he represents the players, and I think he's bad news. I wouldn't have had to go and use some sort of derogatory term for him. But I'll assure you, there were people that even if he just said, hey, Maury Smith isn't that bright. DeMaurie Smith doesn't represent his players. Bad news, he should go. There would have been critics no matter what. So that was the first shoe to drop. And, of course, people say, well, Gruden's a racist. But yet, whether you liked him as a coach or not, and I know players, as I said, several players that played for him that were black, that are black, not one of them that I've spoken to over the last week, has said, hey, Gruden was a racist, Gruden was definitely racial, hated blacks. Never once did they make that accusation. They said, look, we didn't like his coaching style, we didn't like the fact how he treated some players, he was kind of a used car salesman, in the words of Keyshawn Johnson, and that that was echoed by somebody, Sergeant Steve, that you and I both know, that formerly played on the Buccaneers. But None of them said, he's a racist. Now, if John Gruden was a racist, after coaching for what now, he's been coaching 14, 15 years as a head coach, longer as an assistant, maybe less, maybe seven years, eight years as an assistant, don't you think by now you would have heard players saying, hey, this guy is a racist? I mean, this guy is like a plantation master. Not once was that accusation ever made. So what happens? After that, of course, the players' union has to coalesce around DeMorey Smith. This is terrible. This is racist. This is outrageous. What do they do? The board votes to retain him for one more term. DeMorey Smith says, I will only serve one more term. Well, that was the deal he made, I'm sure, with the board. The board saying, we're in a tough position. We can't run away from him right now because if we do, it looks like we're siding with Gruden and that we don't take this racial – derogatory email, seriously, so therefore we're complicit. We have to retain him, but I'm sure they went to Demorey Smith saying, we'll give you one more term, but you have to announce, that's it, you're done. So Demorey Smith now gets another term. The NFL is happy, Demorey Smith is happy, makes a big buck, and he can exit gracefully by saying, I only wanted to do one more term, serve one more term as executive director anyway. Win-win for everybody. But remember one thing, but wait as Ron Popeil would say, there's more. Those emails, discussing DeMauri Smith, and discussing some other things that took place in the NFL, including the drafting of the first openly gay player, and a major criticism of Roger Goodell, you can be sure landed on the desk of Roger Goodell. I don't think Roger Goodell's a great commissioner. I think the NFL should have gotten rid of him. He's been there 15 years. I think the NFL should have gotten rid of him five years ago. He came to them, wanted a $50 million contract, lifetime use of a private jet, wanted all sorts of lifetime perks. He thought he was an owner. He's not. He's an employee. Now, to me, $50 million for a commissioner? Yeah, I think that's excessive. If I'm the owner, I said, Roger, you're doing a great job, and I don't believe he got $50 million. But all these items that he's demanding, my answer would be, You know, yeah, you were making what, seven, eight million? Yeah, we think probably 10, 15 million, but you're not getting 50. And to me, somebody in that job 15 years, probably too long. I think you need to cultivate and maybe 10 years bring somebody else in. But he now has favorites. He plays favorites in the NFL. He has no problem with bringing in a halftime act for the 2022 Super Bowl featuring Eminem. Dr. Dre Snoop Dogg, who've been arrested, who've got not all of them have criminal records, but their lyrics are beyond offensive, beyond racist. Yet, and I'll, I'll I'll read an example of MMs, yet they have no problem promoting them, they have no problem keeping players in the league who've been accused of beating their wives, girlfriends, who have been accused of of molesting or harassing or sexually harassing 23 masseuses, which Deshaun Watson is accused of, you know, if you see one, okay, two, but when you see 23 coming forward, usually there's smoke, there's fire. No problem keeping them in the league, yet for John Gruden, who criticized DeMaurice Smith. Now, would I have used that language? No. But remember, there is a double standard. If a black coach or a black player, black executive or black politician says something about somebody white or about some religion, no problem. They apologize. They get a pass. Not true if you are a white coach or player and you make a statement that's derogatory. It's not a two-way street. It's a one-way street. Now, why did Roger Goodell want John Gruden out? Well, And by the way, let me just state this right now. There's going to be language used in this segment. I don't believe in saying, oh, he was called a P word, he was called this word. I'm going to tell you exactly what was said. So if you have youngsters, this is not suitable for work, not suitable for underage. So I'm going to give you time right now. If you are listening with children, with somebody that would find Language offensive, pause it right now, hit stop, and then when they're gone, you can resume. But I'm going to give you that right now. So you've got time, you are amply warned. Okay. So in an email, he called Goodell a faggot and clueless anti-football pussy. Again, I wouldn't have used the fag word because I don't think that's appropriate, But is he a clueless anti-football pussy? I guarantee you if you took a survey of most of the players and many of the media and even some owners and coaches and general manager, I would say most would say, yeah, he is a clueless anti-football pussy. I would tend to agree. Oh, and by the way, here is a guy, Roger Goodell, who basically denied that there were injuries to – Concussions, that 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 long-term head injuries, brain injuries, for years the NFL wanted to put their head in the sand. Goodell was part of that. But now all of a sudden, nope, oh, player safety's number one. It should have been number one from the get-go. But for all those years, nope, never said a word. So now he's called a clueless anti-football pussy. <gasps> oh, the outrage. That email alone is why John Gruden is no longer in the NFL, has nothing to do with the Maurice Smith. And the reason we know that is because John Gruden, when that came out on that Saturday and then the Sunday after the game, apologized, said it was dumb, it was immature, I'm not a racist, I regret saying that, regret putting that in an email, apologized, issue was done, everybody moved forward. And he personally called the Maurice Smith and apologized and said wrong language and that's not what I meant. He meant to use a term called, I think, rubber tongue, which is somebody that basically lies. I've never heard the phrase, but people have told me that. That's the term that really he probably was more so uh, uh, ref- wanted to refer to. But nonetheless, it's wrong to put that in the email. But he apologized. Controversy blew over. However, not good enough for the NFL and Goodell. Goodell had a hard-on, wanted Gruden out. So what happens? We see the release of more emails, one going after Roger Goodell. And then in another email, private email, 11 years ago to Bruce Allen when John Gruden was not even in the NFL. He was working for ESPN. Private conversation. He said that Goodell should never have pressured Jeff Fisher, then the head coach of of the St. Louis Rams, to draft queers, a reference to Michael Sam, a gay player chosen by the team in 2014. He was the last player chosen in the draft with the seventh round pick. Common knowledge that he was absolutely pressured, the team was pressured, to take one for the big team, the NFL. They did not want to see Michael Sam, the first openly gay player, Offensive end out of Missouri, they did not want him to see, they wanted him to see, they wanted him drafted, no matter what, come hell or high water, to say we're, inclus- we're inclusionary. We, we welcome players of every persuasion. And when no other team wanted him, not because he was gay, but because he couldn't play, he wasn't an NFL prospect, the Rams took him. Goes to training camp, the Rams cut him. He ended up, I think, in Dallas or somewhere else for a few weeks, cut. Then he goes to the CFL in Canada. If you can't make it in the CFL, you definitely can't play. Got cut from the CFL. Couldn't play. The same belief that all other general managers, personnel people, and head coaches in the league said, hey, Michael Sam can't play, therefore we're not drafting him. Even though Goodell has said, no, we never pressured them, and Jeff Fisher's come out in social media saying, I want to make it very clear we were never pressured. Please, nobody believes that. Fisher was, first of all, Fisher wants to stay in the good graces of the NFL, because who knows? Maybe there's an opportunity for him down the road. Maybe the NFL will say, hey, this is payback. Hey, we're gonna put you, we're gonna make you a consultant on something or other. We'll give you a little payback. That's how it works. Goodell didn't have to call Fisher and say, hey, I need you to come out with this letter. And I'll guarantee you there is nothing in writing that Roger Goodell, Goodell was smart enough not to put anything in writing saying we want you to pick this guy. I'm sure in a conversation with Stan Kroenke, I'm sure he said, you know, it would really look good for the NFL to pick Michael Sam, but you pick whomever you want. Don't worry about it. We're not pressuring you. Well, the last pick, seventh round, we take Michael Sam. Now, the term queers. What is the, we see LGBTQ, lesbian, bisexual, bisexual, transgender, queer. Now, for a long time, somebody that was gay, you'd say, yeah, they're kinda queer. Go watch All in the Family. To me, that's not a derogatory term. You're saying, okay, they're kinda queer, whatever. You know, that's like saying, oh, somebody's a fag. You don't use that term to mean they're gay. You just mean, they're kinda like, like when you say, ah, that's gay. You don't mean, well, they're homosexual. You just mean, eh, it's kinda, you know, it's just, eh, it's just kinda weird or just kind of, you're not using it, I mean, I remember as, grade school, and high school, we'd say something that we didn't like or something that was you know, corny, and yeah, it's gay. Never did we use it as saying yeah, it's homosexual or bisexual, or whatever. We never used it in a sexual connotation. Now today, of course, I'll assure you that people use queer, gay all the time. You wouldn't write it down. Now people, I'm sure, are saying, oh, General, I can't believe you said that. Well, again, when we're having an intellectual conversation We're going to use the word, and we're going to explain why we use the word. Now, certainly, gay today is different than the way gay was used in the 1950s or the 60s. Look at all the songs that say, oh, we'll all feel happy and gay, or poems that say we're gay. That never was meant to say we are homosexual. I frankly don't know how gay, the word gay, became associated with homosexuality. I don't know. I really don't. Sergeant Steve, do you have any clue? I do not. But, you know, all of a sudden, the word gay, which, look in the dictionary, means happy, all of a sudden is used openly. Like, if you say somebody's, homo- you don't say homosexual, say they're gay. Now, I don't know how that came about, but we used it in high school and in grade school in the 70s and 80s. We said, ah, that's gay. You know, like, hey, we're, we're, you know, we're all going to go and see this uh you know, some movie, and if it was a chick flick, we're like, am I going to see that? That's such a gay film. Not because it was homosexual, it was just the term that was used. Same thing with queers. Basically, Gruden said, hey, he criticized the fact that Goodell should not have pressured Fisher, the coach of the Rams, to draft queers, a reference to Michael Sam. Now, in and that of itself, is that grounds for firing? I don't think so. But let's look at this. 650,000 emails, yet the only emails released are John Gruden's. And then an email is released to make Adam Schefter look bad. Now, clearly there was somebody in the league office that wanted to tarnish Schefter. Why? Well, clearly he's got a lot of sources. Maybe they don't like the fact that he's broken sources. Maybe they don't like the fact that he's criticized the league. But don't you find it amazing that the only emails out of 650,000 that are leaked are about John Gruden and about Adam Schefter. And the Adam Schefter email was, he sent a story to Bruce Allen and said, look, here's a story I'm about to print. Is this correct? He sent the whole story. Is there anything you see that should be changed? Now, I don't believe Schefter did that to say, oh, you can go ahead and change the substance of the story, but I believe he sent it for accuracy. So I don't believe that's a major offense. Now, would I recommend they do that? Probably not, but if there are specific items, a paragraph within a story, you can certainly send that and say, I want to be sure I'm quoting you accurately. I don't have a problem with that. I think more reporters should confirm accuracy. But that was released to make it appear like Schefter, the way he gets his insider information is by letting all these insiders, general managers, coaches, dictate the story. Maybe it's true, maybe it isn't. Now, Schefter got a little bit of blowback. ESPN supported him, and that was that. Done. We haven't seen any emails from Dan Snyder. Nothing about any alleged workplace discrimination that took place. Nothing. Don't you find that to be a tad bit amusing and amazing? Now, the NFL office, and good said we had nothing to do with this. We, we didn't release anything. No, 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 no. Do you think for a second that that law firm didn't send those emails? I'm sure they didn't put it in an email. I'm sure it was delivered by hand, in copies in which, when it was done, Goodell could take that and shred those papers. Plausible deniability. Or maybe he didn't see him. Maybe one of his underlings said, "Hey, uh, boss, I want to let you know what was said. Here's what was said about you. Here's what." Oh, okay. Well, geez, that would be a shame if it went if it was released. Now, I assure you. Goodell didn't release it. But I assure you, somebody high level, either involved with the investigation or with the NFL in the league office, leaked those emails. And those emails were not leaked without permission. The law firm, no way, shape, or form would they ever leak anything. Because if a law firm did that, that would be the end of them ever having any credibility on doing any investigation or representing Clients they can bill at $1,200 an hour. No, it didn't come from the law firm. It came from somebody in the league office. Plausible deniability. So I find it amazing we didn't see it see uh, see a single email from Dan Snyder. Never a written report. Yet all of Gruden's emails come out. Okay. Now they focused on a broadcaster at the time, who wasn't even involved in the NFL for five more years. The case was about the Washington Redskins. The harassment, the issues that took place, the workplace environment within the franchise, within the the front office, within the corporate office, within the building, had nothing to do with John Gruden. By the way, the NFL is so concerned about reputation that Michael Vick, can kill puppies and dogs and torture puppies, mutilate animals, get a dog fighting ring going. They suspend him, but he's allowed to come back and play and come back and broadcast various games or commentate. But John Gruden gets canceled for saying that Michael Sam essentially was a lousy player. Oh, he also said that players should stand for the national anthem, and he also said that Hiring these female officials is uh, essentially moronic virtue signaling that it was stupid. And and mark my words, here's what's going to happen. The NFL now is going to go to such extremes to show that it's inclusionary, that they are going to promote one of the – I think there's three female officials, side judges, back judges. They're going to promote one of them next year. Mark my words. And they're probably not ready. They may have been in the league only a couple of years. They will – they will – either do one of two things. They will give a nice, generous retirement package to one of the senior officials to retire, senior referees to retire, and they will then promote showing how diverse they are. If they get a black female, they've hit the mother load. They can say, look, we are, we are inclusionary. We have the first black female referee. Mark my words, it's gonna happen next year. Either a female referee or a black female referee. It will happen, or they will create an additional referee slot, saying, well, now that we have 17 games, we need more, so this way we'll add a referee. I have a feeling one of the referees, the senior, they're gonna make it so worthwhile for him to retire, They'll probably pay him out. If he's got three years that he could take full retirement from the NFL, they'll probably say, we'll give you 10 years, and we'll give you a nice, generous parachute, because we wanna be woke, and we wanna, we wanna promote a female or a black female. Guaranteed it's going to happen. Do I think females should be officials? Hell no. I believe it should be males on the field. That's it. If you want to call me a misogynist, so be it. I'm entitled to have my opinion. And my opinion is I don't believe women should be officials. Should be referees, period. I'm not even thrilled about women becoming coaches. That's my personal opinion. If you disagree, so be it. But I'm not going to apologize for that opinion. I'm not a misogynist. That doesn't mean I treat women poorly. That doesn't mean I'm, I'm not polite to women. Not at all. But I have the right to opine that I don't believe women should be coaches or officials. Nothing big about that. And if the NFL is so concerned about atrocities going on in the NFL, Richard Sherman... Long-time defensive back for Seattle then San Francisco, now the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, just signed after being arrested for a domestic violence issue this summer. So let me get this straight. Gruden used some maybe on the borderline racist language, vulgar language, private emails. He's out of a job. But yet, Richard Sherman, welcome back into the league. Antonio Brown, all sorts of legal issues. Welcome back into the league. If Deshaun Watson, who could have 23 allegations of sexual harassment against him by these female masseuses over umpteen years, and Richard Sherman just arrested this summer for domestic violence against his wife, if all these players are welcome in the NFL, yet Gruden makes some statements when he was not even in the NFL, Makes controversial statements that you may disagree with, but nobody believes he's a racist. If he was, his mistake is not being a player. If he was a player, they'd say, We welcome you back, John, no problem. But because he's a coach, wasn't even a coach with the NFL, not even involved with the NFL at the time of these emails 10, 11 years ago, but okay to have 23 sexual assault allegations. It's okay to have all these domestic violence allegations. It's okay to go ahead and fight dogs and kill dogs and puppies. But it's not okay for a coach to have opinions. And I'm not a John Gruden fan. I don't care for the guy at all. I think he's a lousy coach. I think he's a blowhard. I think he's always been a blowhard. He won the Super Bowl with Tony Dungy's players. And after that year, never did shit with the Buccaneers. They were mediocre. But here's one little side note. If you don't think there's a shit ton of other coaches, general managers, scouts, executives in the National Football League that are concerned about any emails that may have been shared with Bruce Allen getting released, you better think again. I will guarantee you they are shitting radioactive lead bricks, hoping, hoping that those emails stay locked away in perpetuity. Because I'll guarantee you there is a ton of other Coaches, league employees, executives, that if those emails were released, they'd all have to resign. And lastly, talking about Gruden. Talking about what's the the hypocrisy of the NFL. Eminem is one of the halftime entertainers for the 2022 Super Bowl, which I am hoping my Buffalo Bills are in and winning big at halftime. I don't know what this song is, but this was sent to me, or actually I, I, I found it. But I want to read this, and again, this is R-rated, so I'm going to give you another warning right now. I'm going to read this exactly as the lyrics state. You can go to Snoop Dogg's lyrics, Dr. Dre's lyrics. They're derogatory. They use the N-word all over the place, okay? Here is this song. My words are like a dagger with a jagged edge that'll stab you in the head whether you're a fag or les, or a homosex, hermaph, or a transvest. Pants or dress hate fags? The answer is yes. Homophobic? Nah, you're just heterophobic. Staring at my jeans, watching my general's, genitals bulging. Ooh, that's my motherfucking balls. You'd better let go of them. They belong in my scrotum. You'll never get hold of them. Hey, it's me, Versace. Whoops, somebody shot me. And I was just checking the mail. Get it? Checking the mail. How many records you expect him to sell after your second LP sends you directly to jail? Come on, relax, guy. I like gay men. Right Ken? Give me an amen. Amen. Please Lord, this boy needs Jesus. Heal this child. Help us destroy these demons. This is the guy that is part of the halftime entertainment at the 2022 Super Bowl. You're telling me the league is no problem with these lyrics? Now if they've got a problem with Gruden, who's not even wasn't an employee, And Eminem's not an employee, but yet you're welcoming him to be your entertainment, along with Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg? Please, let's cut the bullshit. Let's cut the hypocrisy. This absolutely reeks. Now, we talk about cancel culture. We digged, and we found this by accident. Now, Sergeant Steve, you are a Cincinnati lad, and you worked at W. LW, the flagship station of the Cincinnati Bengals. So you work with all the great Bengals. Bob Trumpy. Mm-hmm. You probably work with um, with Sam Weiss at the time. Sam Weiss, I
2: mean? Anthony Munoz. Munoz. Uh, okay. David Chris Fullcher, Collinsworth. Chris Collinsworth. Solomon Icky Wilcox. Woods. Icky Woods. Solomon.
1: I like Solomon Wilcox. I think mm-hmm. he's a good uh, color commentary guy. I like
2: yep. him. I think he does a good job. Tom Dinkle.
1: Right. So you had all the great names back in Ken Anderson. Well, that was probably before your time.
2: Yeah, he didn't work with us. I mean, I met him several times and when he'd come on a show. Who who's was the
1: quarterback? Was Boomer the quarterback at the time? Boomer science?
2: Uh, Boomer was when I was a kid. Uh, okay. When I was working there, well, Carson Palmer was drafted right before I left. Uh, so it was like Jeff Blake and Killy uh, right. Smith was quarterback. and all those guys. That's right. Okay, but, yeah. so
1: you were around that. Yeah. Now.
2: But we look. did shows with Boomer, so I did work with Boomer as well.
1: Okay, so you knew Collinsworth? Mm-hmm. Well, we I produced a show okay he produced his show now we live in an age of hashtag me too hashtag cancel culture now i don't believe people should be canceled i believe everybody's entitled to an opinion but i want to just show sometimes you go back 20 30 years you can make a case for firing anybody you go back far enough you can find a reason and this particular soundbite we're playing was from a video, an interview on a Cincinnati lifestyle show, probably PM Magazine or one of those local type shows where they feature local personalities. And they're basically showing Chris Collinsworth. We think this is around 1983, 84. It looks like he's about 25, you know, in the, in the, uh, interview. And the gist of the interview is that you know, hey, now he's Mr. Man About Town. They show him dancing at like a disco. Not a very good dancer, by the way. But he's Mr. Man About Town. Everybody, all the girls love Chris, Chris Collinsworth. So why don't we play this? And you tell me whether this is deserving of hashtag Me Too, hashtag Cancel Culture.
0: I think probably because of the money, you know. And I'm not going to deny it. I walk around with $100 bills hanging out of my pockets usually. And uh and give it my best shot because before i ever made any money it was pretty much uh big bill. i like girls that aren't too bright because you can trick them a little bit the punk rockers all love me that's those are my big girls and uh high school girls love me 14 to 18 i'm a big star with them as soon as they you know as soon as they mature, after about 18 years old they start figuring out that wait a minute i know
1: there's better than that out there you know I like the young ones because you can trick them. I like the 14 to 18 year olds. If that was said today, not only would he be fired, he'd be thrown in the slammer. And you can be sure there'd be investigations out the yin yang. Now do I believe that that video should be played everywhere and say, hey Chris Collinsworth, you are a scumbag. You should be fired from NBC. You should, you should lose all respect. Your life should be wiped out. Absolutely not but I'm showing you the hypocrisy that goes on. People can say things. Gruden said them 11 years ago. Would he say them today? I think not. Chris Collinsworth said that, that was probably around 1984, okay, 35 years ago. I like them young because they're not very bright. 14 to 18, that's my sweet spot. We can go back 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. It never ends. But the hypocrisy of the National Football League to screw Gruden. And when Mark Davis, the owner, I shouldn't say that, the managing partner, he's not the majority owner, the managing general partner of the Las Vegas Raiders, when he was asked several days ago about John Gruden's firing, he said, I don't have any comment. Call the the league. Call the league office. Call the NFL. Clearly, he didn't want to get rid of John Gruden. I thought initially, okay, that was it. This is a way for him to get out of a 10-year, 10, $10 million contract. I'm not so sure. Sergeant Steve, after that comment that you saw Mark uh, 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 Davis make, what's your slant? I don't think he wanted to get rid of Gruden. It doesn't
2: sound like it, or he's ticked at the NFL if, if he thinks the NFL is the one who leaked it, which I th- many I believe, th- and as you discussed.
1: And I think the NFL put pressure on him to get rid of him, saying, we're going to do it, we're going to release everything, we're going to make your life miserable – You got to get rid of him. Now, Al Davis, I assure you, would have. Look, Al was very inclusionary, and so are the Raiders. And I believe, I don't believe for a millisecond, John Gruden is racist. Okay? He used language that is used in locker rooms and guy talk all the time. Okay? Very simple. I would have used different terms. I would have said, look, Demori Smith, I don't care for him. I think he's a schmuck or a putz or he's a dumbass. That's how I talk. I would not have said anything regarding his lips. But I will say this I thought it was rather humorous that a couple of days ago on his podcast, I think one of the, if you don't listen to it, I think you definitely should, because I think one of the very interesting guys, Jason Whitlock, who started in sports, but really talks about now culture and some politics. It's called Fearless with Jason Whitlock. In fact, I'm going to try to get him on the show. I know I can get him on. Uh, He's with the Blaze Network now. It's called Fearless with Jason Whitlock. He actually wrote a column and did it as his monologue two, three days ago saying, hey, listen, he said, I'm not being derogatory. I'm I'm quoting what what Jason Whitlock said. He said, hey, the Maurice Smith's lips are, are big, but he said, think of all the white women today that spend thousands to get those lips. And I was a little flabbergasted when I heard it and shocked. And he went on and talked about it. And he said, listen, think about that. He goes, hey, that's the reality. Women are going out and spending thousands of dollars to get lip injections and fillers. So he said, it's actually a compliment. But he said, I don't believe Gruden is racist. And he said, frankly, I thought the comment was not that big of a deal. Now again, I would not have used that language. But it's interesting to hear the perspective of a very outspoken, I think one of the a great broad, forget white or black, I think he was one of the great columnists and, and, and commentators in the country, Jason Whitlock. I like his show, he's very similar to, to this show in that not afraid to be candid, not, a, not afraid to be politically incorrect, not afraid to ruffle feathers, he deals in truth, as do we. But the hypocrisy that we see with the NFL is just outrageous and there's no doubt in my mind The NFL essentially put a gun to Mark Davis and said, you're going to get rid of him. Or we'll make your life even worse. And who knows? Maybe they had emails from Mark Davis. You don't know. We don't know. Because we haven't seen we've only had 650,000 emails we've seen, I think, what? 50? 60? So there are 649,930 emails that we haven't seen. I find that amazing. Open them all up, NFL. A number of groups, cheerleaders, and other employees for the Redskins have said open it up. I say yes. If you're going to go after Gruden, Pandora's box, you're going to see mass firings if that's the occasion, if that's the case. Why? Because nobody is perfect. Everybody has made transgressions. That's why they put erasers on the end of pencils. And I'll guarantee you there's tons of NFL insiders, front offices, coaches, general managers, yes, even owners that would get ensnared in this email, selective email release. And if all of them are released, look out. Whoa, Nelly, you are gonna see everyone heading for the hills. The national, international Cigar Litation Libation Ceremony is next. Gurkha is known for creating the world's finest cigars. And to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the Gurkha brand being Launched in the United States, the blenders at Gurkha created the Gurkha Trenta, celebrating and commemorating 30 years of cigar excellence. The Gurkha Trenta, everything you would expect from a Gurkha. Exquisite construction, exquisite flavor, exquisite pleasure. A nice medium, medium full-bodied cigar featuring an Ecuadorian Habano wrapper. A Nicaraguan Corojo 99 binder and the filler, Nicaraguan Corojo 99, Nicaraguan Criollo 98 created by the great blenders and growers at Aganorsa Farms in Nicaragua. And what you get is a signature cigar that has unique flavors, perfect spice, perfect amount of complexity on the palate, a cigar worthy of Gurkha's 30 years being available in the United States. Try the Gurkha Trenta today, you will enjoy the experience and the overall characteristic that goes into blending this magnificent cigar. A beautiful Nicaraguan puro worthy of being called Gurkha Trenta.
0: With an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy, it's time for National Cigar Litation
1: Maneuvers. Well, later on in this edition of The Cigar Dave Show, in our Cigar Masters segment, we will feature part one of a two-part interview with Abe Flores, the founder and the proprietor, the man who is behind some great blends, great cigars from PDR Cigars, initially called Pinar Del Rio Cigars, PDR Cigars, and they have done a magnificent job repackaging and uh, re-imaging their entire lineup, some new blends, we will talk with Abe, two-part interview, first part in a bit. But I am selecting today their number one selling cigar. This is from their PDR lineup, their PDR 1878 Recordando a Santiago Edition. This is their Capa Maduro. This uses a Mexican San Andrean Maron or Maduro wrapper from the Torrents. We've talked about the Torrents the last number of months. We feature the Casa Torrents cigars in August. They grow exceptional cigar tobaccos. No ifs, ands, or buts. And the Maduro, oily, shiny, dark, beautiful looking cigar. Dominican Criollo 98 wrapper, the filler. Dominican Criollo Seco and Dominican Criollo Lajero. Lajero gives it a little bit of heft. Nice blend mixing some Viso Seco, Lajero. What you get is a very dark, rich, medium-bodied cigar, reasonably priced stick. I mean, I've just pulled out the double magnum, which is a 6x60 Gordo. You're talking seven and a half bucks. And this cigar is a beautiful looking stick. Great band, has a secondary band on it. I love the classic Cuban twisted ponytail or pigtail on the very top. Smooth, very balanced. Just nice notes of spice, not overpowering. Just starts with a San Andrean Maduro wrapper. And from there, it's just an exquisite cigar. Comes in three sizes, a Robusto, a Toro and the Double Magnum, six inches in length, 60 ring gauge, again, seven and a half dollars, fantastic. His second biggest selling cigar is actually in the same lineup, but the difference is a milder wrapper. It is the Capa Natural, which uses an Ecuadorian Connecticut shade wrapper. Those are the two biggest selling cigars in the PDR cigar lineup, and they have some beauties. We'll go over them all with Abe Flores, the founder of PDR Cigars, in both this week's part one segment and part two segment during our Cigar Masters series.
0: Cigar altering and highly sharpened, leaf exposing
1: device. Self sharpening, double edged, stainless steel guillotine in my hand, locked and loaded, ready for cutting maneuvers.
0: Maximum BTU flame throwing and heat producing apparatus.
1: Five jet flames for my Cigar Dave, five star. Five jet flames arranged in a Pentagon to represent and signify my five star designation. Nice translucent tank, built-in piercer. I've got about 60% butane filled up in the tank, which is great. It's very compact, nice from the guys in the Cigar Dave R&D laboratories that wear the white lab coats and the geeky pocket protect- These guys are geeks. That's so all they do 24-7 is come up with new lightation devices and cutting devices. That's why I never leave home without their outstanding... And I get all the time emails, General, when's it going to be available? And listen, these are just made for me. Maybe we'll release one down the road, but they're made for me and that's what I love using. And that's why it's special. These, are, There's only one of one. Well, I shouldn't say that. There's actually five of these because in case I break one, lose one, I got five. There are five in the Cigar Dave Research and Development Lab vault, and I'm using the Cigar Dave R&D 5 Star today.
0: Cigar, cigar pre lightation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two,
1: one. Very big ring gauge cigar. 60 ring gauge, 60, 64, 7 inch in diameter. So I took a good amount just above the 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 shoulders of the cigar. Didn't want to take the whole cap off just enough. Now I could have just pulled it with the with the Cuban pigtail, but didn't want to do that. But I've got a nice amount of ample filler leaf exposed. I will toast the foot of this beautiful PDR 1878. Recordando a Santiago Edición Capa Madura. Beautiful wrapper on this thing, man. Beautiful. Alright, let me just. Take a listen to that flame. Flame. Not rushing. You got a 60 ring gauge. It's going to take you some time. This is not a Corona with a 38 or 40 ring gauge. It's going to take some time. Okay, the wrapper is toasted. Now the filler. Now let's puff and rotate, shall we? Mmm. Mmm. Excellent. Just blow on the foot of this cigar right now. Need one little touch-up on the southeastern quadrant. Little black spot there. We'll toast that, let's puff. Mmm. We want to prevent canoeing. What's canoeing? If you only have, let's say, three quarters or a half of your cigar properly lit, what happens is you've got combustion on a good portion of the cigar, the wrapper, binder, filler, But the other part that's not lit isn't going anywhere. So you have, it looks like a canoe, it's hollowed out. You don't want that. That's why it is imperative we take our time to properly puff and rotate, make sure the cigar is toasted properly. We blow to make sure on the end, make sure we have an even amber glow. Then we know the cigar is evenly and properly lit. Take a few puffs. Okay. Now we celebrate Cigar Oktoberfest. I need the proper libation to accompany this beautiful PDR 1878 Capa Madura.
0: Scotch, bourbon, and beer. Commence thirst-quenching libationary
1: maneuvers. Well, I have gone to the left coast, the land of libs. The only reason I'm doing so is because this beer is pretty damn good. It comes from Fremont Brewing in Seattle, Interesting story, family-owned craft brewery founded in 2009. They brew small-batch artisan beers. Interesting lineup of beers. Now, they're give you an example. One of the co-owners, the founder, the owner, the two founders. One is a longtime environmentalist, community organizer, home brewer. So they're a little bit up. No, they're definitely on the lib side. Another one is a longtime do-gooder. A Ph.D., the uh, uh, the female co-founder Sarah Nelson, Ph.D. in Cultural Anthropology at University of Washington, but left academia, pursued a career in public service, landed as a policy advisor for the Seattle City Council. When I say they're tree huggers, you know they're tree huggers. Ultra Libs haven't seen, I guarantee you, they probably don't even let conservatives or Republicans in, but they have two breweries in Seattle and they're all about sustainability and community all that other bullshit but they do make a very unique beer that is available for a very limited time it's called the Fremont Barrel Aged Dark Star Imperial Oatmeal Stout aged in bourbon barrels. Now let me give you an example the 22 ounce bottle and it's finished with a very cool black wax seal at the top 22 ounces 25 bucks Expensive, And they limit it to two per household per day. I had this shipped to me by a friend who was a big beer connoisseur. And he said, when you open this, you better be prepared to drink the whole thing. You can't let it go to waste because when they're gone, they're gone. So let's talk about this Fremont Imperial Oatmeal Stout aged in bourbon barrels, formerly known as Kentucky Dark Star or KDS. This year's blend, the 2021 release is a blend of 24, 18, 12 and eight month bourbon barrel aged Dark Star in seven to 12 year old Kentucky bourbon barrels. They use roasted and chocolate malts along with some oats to bring in a stout flavor with some bourbon barrel aged warmth. It's got some sweetness on it, slightly hoppy finish. As an example, they use two row pale malt roasted barley, Crystal, 60, some chocolate. Carafa, two malts with flaked oats and Columbus Wellamette and Cascade hops. 12.7% alcohol by volume. It is indeed a very, very stout, stout. On the IBU scale, international bitterness units, 50. So this is going to have some hoppiness. This is going to have some bitterness. No ifs, ands, or buts. Now, I've already poured it because I wanted to be very careful, very dark. I'm telling you, this looks like deep, dark espresso. The aroma on it, nice notes of chocolate. Mm, definitely that that barley type of, almost a cereal type of aroma. Just uh, very, very pleasant, incredible. So I'll say cheers, take a sip. Mm. Well, five malts, four hops. Ooh, mm, wow, definitely has some hoppiness. Definitely note the alcohol. Getting some nice warmth. I'm getting, again, some espresso, a little bit of sweetness, very subtle. Almost like a dark chocolatey sweetness. Nice, pleasant, a little bit warm on the way down. Very, very nice. Deep black color, mm, mm-mm. Perfect accompaniment to my PDR 1878 Capa Madura. I go, huh? Oh, mm. outstanding. This beer has won tons of awards. It won the best beer in Washington in 2014, 2021 at the Japanese International Beer Cup In the Wooden Barrel Age Strong Stout category won the silver medal. So very, very acclaimed. What does it tell you? It comes in both a Magnum which is a pretty good size, it's big, and then a 22 ounce, 25 bucks. Limit two per household per day. When they're gone, they're gone. If you can find one, pick one up. Even though they're libs and they're tree hugging, you know, ultra leftists, still a good beer. Have to give them that, so very, very nice. All right, let me take another puff here. Mm. Fabulous. Ah, this is good. Fantastic, all right. When we come back, James Bond is being wussified and pussified. And Daniel Craig, who I'm thankfully happy to say, has done his last James Bond movie, worst James Bond of them all. Total pussy. Didn't even like smoking cigars, complained about cigars. Got an interesting story about him and what type of venues he likes to, he likes to visit and frequent. Not for the reason you think. Quite odd. We'll talk about him. And, of course, we will talk about the Chinese Communist Wuhan virus. Don't forget, later in this edition of the Cigar Dave Show Cigar Masters series, we will feature Abe Flores, the founder and owner of PDR Cigars, part one of a two-part series that we will air this week and also next week. Also, next week we're going to be featuring a nice big beer tasting. haven't decided if we're going to run that on Cigar Dave or on Bold Alpha. We haven't decided yet especially since we have shifted over to the long-form Cigar Dave, so we'll figure that out. But nonetheless, that's why you want to subscribe to both Cigar Dave and Bold Alpha, both podcasts. Subscribe. You won't miss an episode. I want to also tell you very quickly, if you're not a member of the Cigar Dave Officers Club and you love cigars, what are you doing not being a member? You need to join because in October, our October selection, which is going out late next week, features... The Alec Bradley Collection of the Alec Bradley Prensado, one of my absolute favorite cigars. The Magic Toast and the Project 40 Maduro. Let's talk about the Project 40 Maduro for just a minute. Beautiful cigar, Nicaraguan wrapper, Brazilian Habano binder, Nicaraguan filler. Love this cigar, great price point. Comes in four sizes. I smoke the Project 40, comes in a natural, as well as the Maduro, but the Maduro I love. We are talking about some serious, serious flavor, incredible taste, actually, correction, it's a San Andreas Maduro wrapper. So the same wrapper on the cigar I'm smoking today, the PDR 1878 Capo Maduro, the Project 40 Maduro uses a San Andreas wrapper, a Habano Brazilian binder, Nicaraguan filler, telling you, three sizes, great taste, A little bit of sweetness, chocolatey, beautiful. So we got the Project 40 Maduro. That is number one. The Prensado, I think, is one of their absolute all-time winners. You can't go wrong. That's one of their big sellers. Been around for probably a dozen years. I mean, this cigar, Honduran wrapper, Nicaraguan binder, Honduran-Nicaraguan filler. This is one of the great cigars on the medium to full-bodied side. Very unique method of how they roll it into bottle where they triple cap the head, they roll the the filler, they don't just bunch them all together, they roll them, then they put the rolls together, very Cuban-esque, great stick. And lastly, the Magic Toast released, I believe it was two years ago, off to a fantastic start, incredible, the number of people that have raved about that cigar, Just a beautiful story on that stick. A lot of flavor, a lot of heft, but three great cigars, the Alec Bradley Collection. If you're not a member, go to CigarDave.com, click on Officer's Club. $22.95 per month gets you three premium cigars per month shipped in a Cigar Dave Officer's Club Ziploc pouch. We feature unique cigars. We feature the latest and greatest, some oldies but goodies. We give your palate a really nice, broad array of cigars. So make sure, if you're not a member, to get in time for the November selection. We'll tell you more about that next week. Make sure you join before the end of October. There's going to be a price increase for everybody January 1st, going to $24.95 per month. Inflation. We call it Bidenflation. We call it increased... Prices to ship the cigars, increased materials, increased costs on everything. I'm not telling you something you don't know. We have not had a price increase, I believe, in about, I want to say eight or nine years, maybe even ten years. We've kept it reasonably priced, still reasonably priced at twenty four ninety-five. As an example, the four cigars we gave you, even though you normally get three, but in August we gave you four from the Casa Torrent lineup, seventy-five bucks worth of value. These Alec Bradley cigars, you're looking well over $30, $35. Same thing. Get a tremendous amount of value. Got to go up. We we probably should have raised it more, but we're keeping it at $24.95. That's going to be starting January 1 for all members right now, $22.95 per month. Go to CigarDave.com. Click on Officers Club. All the frequently asked questions are there. Any info, past selections, no Long-term membership, it's month-to-month, but join all of our members, love the great selection of cigars that we send them, you'll enjoy them too. Avo Cigars has just launched the newest addition to the Avo Synchro Series, entitled the Avo Synchro Caribe. Fourth line in the Avo Synchro Series, it is centered around the concept of tobacco synchronization. They incorporate the diversity, complexity, and compatibility of cigar tobaccos from the Caribbean and Central America to create a natural harmony, a Caribbean soul, a very dynamic cigar. It uses natural distribution. What does that mean? The proportions of the cigar tobaccos on any given plant perfectly matched in the blending process. So what you get is a Dominican wrapper. You get filler tobaccos from Nicaragua a binder from Ecuador that are matched absolutely perfectly. The taste, a lively, dynamic, harmonious flavor profile of Caribbean flavors, aromatic spices, some complex cocoa, a beautiful medium-bodied cigar with subtle sweetness resembling tropical fruits. The flavors, rhythm, and lifestyle of the tropics are encapsulated in the new Avo Synchro Caribe. Available now at your cigar retailer or DavidoffGeneva.com. The name is Bond. James Bond. Sergeant Steve, do we have any James Bond music in the audio vault that we can play to get in the proper mood? There we go. The name is Bond. James Bond. Now, as far as I'm concerned, there's only one Bond. Sean Conry. Hello, I'm Sean Connery. I'm James Bond. Hello, Pushy. Pushy Galore. James Bond, correction. Sean Conry for Shitty Bank. When I travel around the world, I only travel with my Shitty Bank Visa. They may not know me in Singapore, but they probably should. But wherever I carry my Shitty Bank Visa, they welcome me. When I was playing in the rock and I needed a shave, I went to a barber in San Francisco. And I whipped out my shitty bank visa and I said, My boy, I want you to give me a clean shave, and then I want a shower, then I want a massage with a happy ending. And they said, Mr. Conry, because you have the Shitty Bank Visa, we'll be glad to accommodate all your requests. And I came out feeling like James Bond. Sean Conry, the one, the only, the true James Bond. Look, I thought Pierce Brosnan was a good James Bond. But the current James Bond, Daniel Craig, the guy is a fucking pussy. The guy, there's nothing about the man that reeks James Bond. In real life, he's got the personality of a lead testicle. He has no personality. He's bland, he's boring. I'll never forget, a number of years ago, in an interview, he made a big deal out of the fact that one of the scenes called for a cigar and that he had to keep relighting it and he got sick and he hated having to do it and he told the producers he wouldn't do it, didn't want to do it. Can you imagine Sean Connery or Pierce Brosnan or Roger Moore saying, I'm not going to smoke a cigar. I'm not going to have a cocktail. Oh, no, I'm not going to bang hot women. That's the character James Bond. But no, Daniel Craig, first class, grade-A pussy. And how do I know this? Well, this is from the Guardian newspaper in Britain. Headline, Daniel Craig says he goes to gay bars to avoid fights at straight venues. He said he revealed that he prefers going to uh, to frequent gay bars to avoid the aggressive dick-swinging of hetero spaces. Quote, I've been going to gay bars for as long as I can remember. One of the reasons because I don't get into fights in gay bars that often. Sergeant Steve, how many fights have you gotten into going to heterosexual bars? Uh, None. That would be a ditto for me, none. And I've been going since probably before college. None, never once said, oh, geez, I don't want to go to a straight bar with women and normal, or or heterosexual men because I could get, you know, get into a fight. I've I've never thought that. I've never once said, gee, let me go to a gay bar because I won't get into a fight and there won't be guys swinging their dicks. I'd say to the contrary, there's probably more aggressive dick swinging, if you know what I mean, and I believe you do. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Now, he also went on to say that gay bars are just a good place to go because you didn't have to sort of state your sexuality. He said it, it's a very safe space to be, safe place. This guy needs a safe space. That's why he shouldn't, he doesn't belong anywhere near James Bond. He said, and I could meet girls there because there are lots of girls there for exactly the same reason I was there. It was kind of an ulterior motive. I don't know of any women that go to meet men at gay bars. Sergeant Steve, are you aware of that? No, I am not. Yeah. I, I, uh, yeah. I've never once said, geez, I want to go pick up some hot chicks. Let me go to a gay bar. I mean, there's bars where, you know, hot dames frequent, but they're not gay bars per se. They could be at nice restaurant bars or bars that are, you know, upscale type places. But never once have I said, let me go to a gay bar because I'm worried about getting into a fight I don't want to go to a place where guys are swinging their big dicks. Oh, and maybe I can pick up some hot chicks. This guy doesn't belong anywhere near the James Bond character. And I'm thrilled that he has played his last, has acted in his last James Bond movie entitled No Time to Die. I have not seen it. But all I know is, if you look at the last number of James Bond movies, it is very clear that James Bond is moving into woke territory. James Bond, you see, is an outdated character. He's a true alpha male. He's a heterosexual male. He loves sleeping with tons of hot women. He loves his martini. He loves going to casinos and gambling. He's cool, he loves driving cool cars. He likes cigars. Did I say he loves hot chicks? loves hot dames, loves banging hot women, everything that is political. oh, and he's straight, everything that the feminists and the ultra liberals today find offensive in men, heterosexual, alpha, strong, smart, suave, highly sexually active, and highly alpha in terms of their lifestyle, cigars, spirits, cocktails, traveling to cool places, Everything that is cool about James Bond is far too masculine for today's woke, preferably beta society. They would like to turn James Bond into a wussified beta. They want to say, that was the 60s James Bond. This is the 21st century James Bond. So what do they have to do? They have to kill James Bond. Not literally kill him off, but they have to kill his persona. How are they going to do that? They're gonna make him weak. They're gonna make him defer to women. They're going to strip out all the highly charged sexuality of James Bond being a heterosexual male, James Bond sleeping with many women. He'll be politically correct now. He won't go near women. You won't see him have as many cocktails. You won't see him smoking a cigar, I can guarantee that. He will be a neutered, watered-down James Bond. They will take his big, James Bond Tallywhacker and they will essentially castrate it they will chop it off they, they want to make him a vaginal James Bond instead of a highly testosterone nads of steel penal James Bond that is fact you won't see him kill it but you're going to see all the typical things we identify with James Bond going away it will slowly disappear all these Hollywood producers are getting woke There'll be pressure from the studios. Oh, we can't have a very strong James Bond. Mark my words, forget James Bond. They're going to come out with a Jane Bond. They will come out with a Jane Bond that will be like James Bond, but in a female character. And they can say, ah, see, even women can be 007. Mark my words, it is coming. And that is unacceptable. I never want to see a Jane Bond. There's only one James Bond, in my estimation. That will be Sean Connery. But let's get... A heterosexual, alpha James Bond that in real life loves cigars, loves hot dames, loves to live the James Bond lifestyle. Not this pussy wimp that currently has been playing James Bond for, I don't know, what, the last eight, ten years? Something like that? I'm sorry. If I never see Daniel Craig again, I'll be thrilled. Daniel Craig was never James Bond. Will never be James Bond and should have never been James Bond from the get go. They only hired him for one reason. He's not even that great looking of a guy because he's got a freaking British accent. And by that measure, we could have made Mick the Brit James Bond. Sergeant Steve, what do you think? Can you imagine Mick the Brit as James Bond? A little too short. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, we're going to have to, yeah, and I think we're going to have to do something with Mick's uh, buzz cut. We're going to have to probably get him a toop like, uh, uh, like like Sean Connery, although Sean Connery looked cool in the tube, even though you knew it was a rug. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to jet, we're gonna have to fix up uh, Mick in terms of his 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 take him to a good haberdasher. We're gonna have to get him into some of those suave suits and have to work a little bit on his pickup lines. Aside from, oh, and get him out of beer and into some martinis. Aside from that, listen by all measures, and let's face it, Mick is far more alpha than Daniel Craig. There is no doubt about that. By that measure, any Brit. I mean, Boris Johnson could have been James Bond if you go by the standard of the only reason that Daniel Craig was selected is because he's got a British accent. This guy didn't belong anywhere near the 007 moniker. That is my position, and I am thrilled that he's gone. Adios. Bye bye sayonara, Daniel Craig, you were never a good James Bond, you never will be a good James Bond, and you didn't deserve to be anywhere near James Bond, and that is the end of that discussion. Real quickly, before I get to the Chinese Communist Party Wuhan virus, talking about the wussification of not only the American male, but American boys, the People's Republic of California has become the first state in the country to sign a law, enact laws, that large retailers must have gender neutral sections for products like toys and toothbrushes. This law was pushed by LGBT advocates who say that pink and blue marketing reinforces gender stereotypes and is harmful to children. Let me make this very clear. There are two genders, male and female. You want to throw in a third, freak. You either have a penis or a vagina. It's that simple. You got a tallywhacker or a vajayjay. There's no middle ground. Very simple. You're a male, a female. Anything else goes into the freak category. I don't apologize for that. We are all alpha males. We are happy to be heterosexual males. If you're a homosexual male, that's great. You, you're proud, you're, they have gay pride, great. I'm heterosexual pride. What, but here's the thing. whether you are heterosexual, homosexual, male, the fact is, you're male, female, simple, two genders. Don't give me this 28 gender bullshit. And this law being pushed by saying, oh, pink is identified with women and blue, we have to we, we can't have any separation. And of course, figures, Governor Gavin Newsom signed the law last Saturday saying that large stores over uh, companies with over 5 or stores over 500 employees so a Walmart a Target Toys R Us that kind of thing they must offer a general neutral section to display a reasonable selection of items regardless of whether they've been traditionally marketed for guys or for girls or boys great so Barbie is in the same row as GI Joe here's a little factoid boys and girls are different Boys wanna play with G.I. Joe, tough guys. Girls wanna play with Barbie and Ken. Boys wanna play with Tonka trucks. Girls wanna play with their dolls and their little teacup sets and their and their little Easy Bake Oven. That's not being discriminatory, that's accepting fact. The sexes are different. Boys and girls, male and females are different. I don't wanna talk about what a chick talks about all the time, and I guarantee you she doesn't wanna talk about what we as males want to talk about all the time. And believe me, I know what some females talk about and they make men's locker room talk look tame. But look, when they want to go to the mall and talk about clothes or fashion, have at it. I want to talk about sports, I want to talk about hot dames, I want to talk about my cigars, I want to talk some politics, I want to talk about grilling, fine. We should embrace the differences. Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. Maybe Gavin Natalus Newsom and these LBGDQ nutcases, these yo-yos, ought to refer to that book. The sexes are different. They're male and female. Those are the only two sexes. Very simple. Two genders. Then you got the fr- everything else goes in the freak category. But I'm sorry. To lump everything together, this is what the LGBTs want. They want... Boys to become girls. They want the feminists want boys to become neutered at a young age. They don't want them playing with G.I. Joe. They don't want them playing with trucks. They want them to hold the little tea parties and play with easy bake ovens just like their girl counterparts. They don't want masculine boys to grow up and become masculine alpha males. That is fact. And I say screw that. Screw that. Keep the dolls, the Barbie dolls and the Ken and the Easy Bake Ovens in the girls' toy section. Keep the trucks, keep the Tinker Toys, keep the the G.I. Joes in the boys' toy section and be done with it. Enough of this gender-neutral bullshit. I'm fed up with it, and I know you sure as hell are as well. And again, I'm not politically correct, and I'm proud of that. And if somebody finds that effective or, 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 or to be to be uh, offended by, then I have no problem debating them and I'll smash them into the ground with my outstanding verbal debate skills. But if they're offended, I will sleep like a baby at night, no problem, don't care about it. Because we have to finally stand up to this woke bullshit, to this LGBTQ where they want everybody to be one gender, not a male or female, we need to say enough is enough, and we need to say to these feminists that it is unacceptable to make boys feel second rate in the classroom make boys feel guilty about being masculine and make boys feel guilty about wanting to grow up like their fathers and becoming alpha males we need to stop it, put it out end it once and for all if we don't do it now, we are screwed last week I told you about the Chinese Communist Party Wuhan virus and I stated to you that there are effective treatments: ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D3, doxycycline, doxycycline, or azithromycin, to put essentially a flak jacket, prevent secondary bacterial infections. That you should take quercetin, zinc daily. Good antiviral. Ivermectin, we know, is a good antiviral. It has worked against the Wuhan virus. The evidence, overwhelming in India, African countries, around the world. But phony Fauci, the CDC, the Democrats, they don't want to eradicate the Wuhan virus. They want Big Pharma to become wealthy, and they want to be able to perpetuate the virus to keep everybody locked down, to keep everybody scared, and to make sure that they control the ballot box and keep counting the elections in the manner they show choose. Well, I told you about a new supposedly revolutionary drug from Merck that had been worked on for the last number of years. Basically, it is called Molnupiravir. And it was initially funded by the Department of Defense and the National Institute of Health. Fauci was the one that granted 19 million, the DOD 10. $29 million went into this particular drug and they were looking to use this against a number of different viruses, and so on, developed in Atlanta, Emory University, in their research lab. It was then purchased by a small pharmaceutical company down in Miami, and then they partnered up with Merck Ridgeback Biotherapeutics. They essentially partnered up with Merck, I think sold them the rights, and I think Ridgeback gets royalties, and they have been working on a fast track testing this. They combined phase two and phase three of this new Molnupiravir, which is essentially a drug that changes and disrupts the RNA sequence in the Wuhan virus. It's not an antiviral medication. It actually goes into the virus, and when the virus replicates, it changes the RNA sequencing so that essentially, it is supposed, in theory, kill the virus and essentially short-circuit the virus. One slight problem. Going back seven, eight years, there have been issues with this Molnupiravir. There have been some issues on changing DNA and RNA, its effects on other organs, long-term effects aren't known. There have been red flags all over the place. And in phase two, normally you do a phase two trial, you develop the safety, the efficacy, then you go to phase three. Well, Merck decided they were gonna combine combine phase two and phase three. I told you that last week. How many patients did they use in their sample? 20,000, 100,000, 500,000, multiple millions like ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine? No, 750 patients. And they announced that they were getting great results. Why? Because it reduced the risk of hospitalization 54 or 55%. And of course, they reported that to the media. Their stock jumped. Everybody jumped, all the, the lib uh, media all the, the lamestream media, they all reported big breakthrough. This is great. Fauci said, oh, this is a major development. This is fantastic. Everybody jumped up and down and, of course, never read the study. They never bothered to read the study because had they read the study like I did, they would have seen that the drug, the, the test was canceled for patients in the hospital because it didn't work and that they decided to combine phase two and phase three, and they only did a sample, very small sample size of 750, and that the US government quietly, last April, before this drug was even approved, quietly signed a contract with Merck to purchase 1.7 million courses of Molnupiravir, which is a weak course, at a cost, of $720 or $750 per dose for a total of $1.2 billion. Now let me recap. We as taxpayers put $29 million of taxpayer money into developing and, and creating this drug. It's sold to a private pharmaceutical company in Miami that then partners with Merck, publicly traded for big pharma company. Costs Merck $17.5 to manufacture a course of 10 tablets. And they're charging the US government $720 to $750. Didn't give one break. Now I ask you, if we put $29 million, Fauci gives this grant, don't you think we should have some caveat in there saying, hey, if this works, we get all our money back and we get a kicker on top of that? Government didn't get $750. How much does ivermectin cost? Could the government buy it for? If they went out and bought 14 pills, they'd probably be able to buy it for about 2 bucks. Let's say 4 on the high side. Let's even go to 5. 5 bucks. You're talking about $750 for a course, but ivermectin 5 bucks. And you know who sells the brand name of ivermectin in the United States? That would be Merck. As I told you last week, Merck has been downplaying the effectiveness of ivermectin. Why? Even though around the world, it's been shown to be very effective. Why? Follow the money. Always remember, take a look at the bouncing ball above the following words. Follow the money. See the bouncing ball? Follow the money. Merck would get five bucks. Correction, they'd probably get two, three bucks for a course of treatment. Probably less. Maybe five. Let's say five. But hey, why should they get five when they can get 700 dollars from the U.S. government? Even though ivermectin is far more effective, it's in the 90-plus percentile of effectiveness when administered within the first six days before the viral load explodes, combined with zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D3, and doxycycline or azithromycin. 90-plus percent follow the money. So why did Merck suppress their own drug? You'd think they'd tout it, saying, we've got this this drug ready to go. Nope, because they knew they had Molnupiravir in the pipeline. Billions, 1.2 billion. And they have just applied for emergency use authorization for the treatment of mild to moderate Wuhan virus in adults who are at risk for progressing to severe uh, Wuhan virus and or hospitalization. Five-day treatment. They say it reduces the risk of hospitalization by 50%. Still far less than Ivermectin, which costs a fraction, a hundredth of the price, a thousandth of the price. The president and CEO of Merck, Robert Davis said, and I quote, the extraordinary impact of this pandemic demands that we move with unprecedented urgency and that is what our teams have done by submitting this application for Molnupiravir to the FBA within 10 days of receiving the data. Now, they're rushing, demands it. Why does it demand a rushing? So they can sell and get $1.2 billion into the coffers of Merck's treasury by pumping out these pills, Molnupiravir, which has a 50% effective rate at a ridiculously high cost. And by the way, it is an rna changes the RNA, and we don't know the long-term effect. There could be some dangerous effects. Oh, and it could cause mutations of the virus even worse than what we're seeing now to make it almost a super virus with a much higher infection and mortality rate. But yet, Merck is rushing, and I'll guarantee you, Fauci is saying, this is wonderful to have Molnupiravir. This is unprecedented to have a therapeutic. We've been on the hunt for therapeutics, and we have one. And we're very optimistic to cut the chance of going to the hospital 50% is unprecedented. He's right because we could cut it 95-plus percent by just administering ivermectin along with vitamin C, vitamin D3, zinc, and azithromycin or doxycycline. Always follow the money. Mark my, mark my words, they're going to rush. Let's hope that the group that is reviewing this starts taking a hard look at things. And by the way, they say that ivermectin doesn't have any studies. There have been over 60 studies and meta-analyses of the effectiveness of ivermectin. So let's dispense with the bullshit, with the poppycock that all the Libstream media and phony Fauci and everybody has to say about ivermectin. It's cheap, it's been safe, it's been effective, it works, case closed. Oh, one problem. You can't follow the money with ivermectin because it's too cheap, but you can follow the money with Merck's drug and the new antiviral, which uses the same method of action as ivermectin, which will also cost 750 bucks per course of treatment, and the federal government has already signed a deal with them too. Follow the money. Talking about the Chinese Communist Party Wuhan virus, I saw this. That I had to do a double take on this. Scientists in Japan have reported a case in which a patient seems to have developed restless anal syndrome after suffering from the Chinese Communist Party Wuhan virus, with initial findings indicating that the syndrome may be related to the Wuhan virus. Restless Anal syndrome. It reported that the patient, age 77, experienced insomnia and anxiety while infected with the virus and several weeks after discharge began to experience restless, deep anal discomfort. He had an urge to move which worsened with rest, improved with exercise, worsened in the evening in the anal region, or as Bart would say, in the anus. A colonoscopy revealed internal hemorrhoids. So now we have another effect of the CCP Wuhan virus, restless anal syndrome, which hereafter shall be referred to as Biden butt. Coming up next, part one of our two-part interview with Abe Flores, the founder and proprietor of PDR Cigars as our Cigar Master Series comes your way next. Gurkha is known for creating the world's finest cigars. And to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the Gurkha brand being launched in the United States, the blenders at Gurkha created the Gurkha Trenta. Celebrating and commemorating 30 years of cigar excellence, the Gurkha Trenta, everything you would expect from a Gurkha, exquisite construction. Exquisite flavor, exquisite pleasure. A nice medium, medium full bodied cigar featuring an Ecuadorian Habano wrapper. A Nicaraguan Corojo 99 binder and the filler, Nicaraguan Corojo 99, Nicaraguan Criollo 98, created by the great blenders and growers at Aganorsa Farms in Nicaragua. And what you get is a signature cigar that has unique flavors, perfect spice, perfect amount of complexity on the palate, a cigar worthy of Gurkha's 30 years being available in the United States. Try the Gurkha Trenta today. You will enjoy the experience and the overall characteristic that goes into blending this magnificent cigar, a beautiful Nicaraguan pearl worthy of being called Gurkha Trenta. One of the great boutique cigar success stories is PDR Cigars. It started as Pinar del Rio, been around for a long time. They have a magnificent manufacturing facility down in Tamboril, in Republica Dominicana. We have featured the PDR Cigars in our uh, April 2021 Cigar Dave Officers Club selection. Got great, great response. And I've wanted to have Abe Flores, the founder of PDR Cigars, on for a while, and we were able to set it up, and I talked with Abe this week. Here is part one of our two-part series with Abe Flores. We talk about his background, talk about the PDR portfolio. I think you'll find it to be a very enjoyable interview, how they started, how they grew, overgrew, and how they backed it down to a manageable level, but I can tell you one thing, they are manufacturing exceptional cigars. One of the big success stories in the world of cigars started out as a small boutique manufacturer and they have grown exponentially pdr cigars down in tamborel republica dominicana and joining us is the founder proprietor of pdr cigars abe flores abe greetings welcome to the cigar dave show we've known each other a long time but this is the first time we've had you on the show
3: (laughs) thank you for having me dave i know it's been many many years
1: just... Long, long time. <laughs> long time. Long time. Now, let's go back. 2004 is when you started in the cigar industry. But let's talk about you before being in the cigars. Tell us about your background.
3: Well, before I got into uh, cigars, I went to school up in Boston, a small college called Merrimack College. Studied uh, MIS, computer, as marketing informational systems. So I was a programmer. Uh, it was the beginning of a, the .dot com boom. The, uh, learning how to do HTML, building, you know, building sites. Um, so so I started there. I worked for a lot of .dot coms, and then I think it was around nine eleven. Everything kind of died. Um, economy uh, tanked, and, and I really wanted to do something that I liked. And my family, my grandfather was a grower. I grew up mostly. You know, from any tobacco and coffee, and, uh, and the farm. And I smoked cigars. Uh, my cousin used to bring up cigars all the, the, time, the time from the DR and send me cigars. And uh, I used to sell them to friends and and, and uh, use it to buy instruments uh, because I'm a musician too. Um, and I, I really wanted to get into uh, something that was more closer to me. Um, I started looking for for work in the cigar industry uh was trying to get into a factory or, or you know, know to learn more about how to make cigars and the whole process and um I applied for Laura and a couple other places and then uh I got a job working for a company called Tinderbox Sure I remember back then Tinderbox was a mammoth company you know um uh you know they had about I mean what, like 400 almost 400 retailers like 380 something at one point um franchises uh, throughout the united states There were like the mcdonald's of of the cigar industry at one point almost every all moment. had a tinderbox um as you recall i don't know if you recall if <laughs> you've been, been around <laughs> this is longer than me dave so um so i went to work for, for them and their corporate headquarters uh, up in uh in, in, in pa and i started just mostly uh as a as a, as a database programmer, building their site, building the infrastructure, managing their warehouse, the distribution center, center um, setting up their warehouse uh, interface their accounting interface, accounting their marketing, interface, interface, marketing and interface and we launched a site, alternative com. Um, um, and that's pretty much where I got my foot in the door. Um, I was not really blending cigars until like a couple of years into it. And, and um, as, owners will come through and talk to me and they saw i was smoking cigars and things like that i started doing private labels with uh different factories and then um daniel nunez was a great mentor of mine um he he said he he said that i had a good knack for it and you know i'm also a graphic designer so i I designed the bands, the packaging and everything and and everything i was doing was doing really well that's how i Decided to, to launch my, my own brand. brand. I met uh, the Rodriguez brothers, um, who were uh, they had a shop on Canal Street. They still
1: still do sure. Canal Street, New Orleans, called right. Have um, you ever been there? I have, yeah. I have.
3: So they, those guys, you know, there there were three brothers. They had a small little factory. They actually started in two thousand four. I came and in in two thousand six, two years later, um, yeah. and then. Um, you know, we started working little by little, and I'll come down and do my, my blends and fly out with samples, and I, I went door to door, door and pitched my cigars in my dream.
1: so then, so you started in New Orleans in that small mm-hmm. cigar factory on Canal Street, and that's really where the origins of PDR cigars and A Flores began.
3: Yes, mm-hmm. correct.
1: So you 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 came up with a blend they rolled it. So this was your first really introduction to manufacturing cigars.
3: Exactly. Well, I manufactured my own cigar or the private Yeah, your own cigars. cigars.
1: Yeah, your my own, own cigars. cigars. Yeah. Your own cigars. Okay. It's interesting, Abe, you mentioned MIS. Today we refer to it as IT, internet technology. Well, yes. When I was a student at Syracuse University from 1982 to 1986, I was a dual major in broadcast management and finance and we had to take in the school of business we had to take I think two MIS core I didn't even I said what is MIS I had no clue what MIS was and of course management information systems and I remember I think I was one of the first students in my class to actually get my own computer otherwise you'd have to go share this computer one of these uh I, they weren't it wasn't a UNIVAC computer but um I'm trying to remember the name of the company. Was it digital? It was this big, giant keyboard. And I remember you'd have to reserve time, and I got a Mac, no, correction, it was an Apple, I think it was an Apple C computer.
3: Yes. And I remember it had that's a monitor. Using, was, that's, yep. that's what they were using, yes.
1: <laughs> yep, had a green and white, you know, basic monitor. Nothing like we use now. Mm-hmm. And uh, you had a floppy disk to get the thing going, and I remember it was I think twelve or six or six hundred or twelve hundred baud rate because I had the modem, and you'd have to dial on the telephone to get mm-hmm. in. And I thought this was the greatest thing that I've ever seen. And I had, I had classmates saying, "I got to see this. You're kidding. You, you don't have to go in at all hours of the night." I said, "No, I bought this computer, and you go in. Bing, bang, boom. And then of course everybody else wanted to go get an Apple IIc. But it is amazing how far we have come from that time where. I mean, when you think about it, we have more computing power and the ability to do more on our smartphones than we did mm. back then on a at the time. I think I'm trying to remember, it was like a twelve, fourteen hundred dollar computer. I remember it took me like two years to pay off. But it is amazing the difference. And and so you started really management information systems, and your foot in the door was through the tinderbox, which at the time was almost in every major mall in the country. They were big into pipe tobacco. Big in cigars, big in in unique gifts, and so that's where your first introduction to cigars were.
3: Yeah, very much. Okay, I mean, it's it, I thank them because I learned a lot from them. Um, and you know, every time I, I see I go up to PA, yeah. and I see those guys Wayne, Best, and, and those guys who still run. You know, if they didn't give me a shot, I would have not, not really. It kind of laid down the groundwork, what I needed to know, how to market a cigar, and what, and then yeah, the, at the time, remember, things were changing a lot, you know, like, you know, it was like out of the boom, mm-hmm. you know, and, and uh, taste profiles were changing, and then guys like Pepin started popping up, and guys were just doing, remember, Nicaragua was not so big back then.
1: Correct, you know, it was uh, Dominican, it was, right. It was like, the drone it
3: was the only one who was doing good, you know? Right. I mean, who else? Who else was a big... Uh, Nicaraguan company back then. I can't remember. Uh, Hoya Nicaragua, but it Hoya was not Nicaragua.
1: that big. No, and they uh, were they were about it. And then Honduras certainly was big with Villazon. Yeah. They were making a lot of cigars there and uh, Camacho. But mm-hmm. in the Dominican Republic, they were the king. And what's interesting is I remember during the boom, everybody was primarily in Santiago. Mm-hmm. That was where most. of – And then of course you had uh, Consolidated Cigar uh, that was down at Casa de Campo in that in that neck of the woods. Um, and then Tamboril started to come on the map during the boom. There were a number of manufacturers. In fact, I remember there was a cigar named Tamboril, and I remember them showing up at the uh, at the at the time the RTDA conventions, the Retail Tobacco Dealers Association convention. Nobody had heard of Tamboril. Nobody had heard of these guys. But it was during the boom, and Tamboril became a very popular. Uh, area. It's just what is it about twenty minutes north or, or east northeast of of Santiago. It's not that far. It's like a suburb almost.
3: Yeah, it's like wow. It's turning more and more into a suburb.
1: <laughs> it's turning more and more <laughs> to a suburb. Yeah, in a, another
3: ten years, it will be eaten up eat. by Santiago, and it will become Santiago.
1: It will become Santiago. <laughs> exactly. It's growing like crazy. So at the time, Santiago was on the map. So tell us how you, you, this is. You you start manufacturing your cigar. Uh, up in new orleans three rollers you make them they sell out so tell us how you made the pilgrimage to the dominican republic and manufacturing your own cigars
3: well they had they had a small they were rolling in new orleans but also they were rolling in a small building in Tamboril, um and uh, uh, that's where i started when i joined them i, I started going to to the dr to Temporal, to, you know, get them a little bit more... Uh, uh, changing the blends. You know, making the blends more appealing to the consumer because back then they were really kind of old-fashioned in the way they were blending things, you know. Um, just simple blends, you know. Oh, nothing really complex. And, you know, you know, a lot of stuff was like that back then, but things were changing very quick. Um, you know, Nicaragua started... Kicking it up, you know, and and guys like Peping and Six O One and and, then, and, and, uh, and uh Padilla, you know. Remember Padilla was like, you know. What's oh their, sure, one Padilla big. First, I remember. Yeah, and there's the Padilla was like the first Pete Johnson. You know what I'm saying? So it's uh, right. You know, and um, and then uh, what's his name? Bah- Bahia. Remember Bahia? Uh, the, what's I name? do remember uh, Tony
1: Borhani. Tony Borhani Tony, yeah, made his made cigars Borhani. down in Costa Rica.
3: Yeah, yeah, he, he started coming out. He was the player, you know. So, right.
1: oh yeah, you see, you see these
3: guys, and and that's you know the profile started changing. So I started to you know tell them you know start making the cigars more stronger, more, more more you know not so mild, more medium to full flavor, uh, um, more complexity, um, and that's where PDR. P- we we I was really in love with like how Cuba. Was because I went to Cuba a few times, and then, um, I was really in awe with the tradition and and how the Cuban seeds they developed out of there that we use in the DR and Nicaragua and Honduras, Criollo 98, Corojo, Piloto, all those type of Cuban seeds that came out, um, um, and, and I wanted to really do an homage homage to to that, and then I was. You know, that's where PDR came from because, you know, actually we were called Pinar de Río. Right. I registered that brand and, and uh, we launched under on the Pinar de Río. Eventually, it was really hard for people to say Pinar de Río. And then and there was a brand, brand that was like fading Pinar. out. Remember Pinar? There was, there was a brand called Pinar at one point. So it was like confusing. And then I changed it to PDR, 1878, or PDR. Made the acronym smaller. And then uh, when we came out with the PDR 1878 Cubano Especial, that really took the brand to the next level for us. More than PDR. So, Rio.
1: so that, what year was that? I think it was
3: 2007, 2008. That's okay. when so, uh, it was, yeah, it was not New Orleans. Orleans. It was, I think,
1: Houston? You know what, it's amazing because it's funny, I can remember each convention, but I can't remember in what sequence and what year, Uh, but I think you're right. I think that was in Houston, uh, because I remember it was at the Hilton, uh, the Hilton was attached to the Mm -hmm. convention center. So I remember, I do remember that. So that was really your breakout year, where about 14 years ago, where you launched PDR, that was your first launch of the pdr cigars and what was the reception like at that convention when you when you had your booth for the first time was that the first time you had a booth
3: no no we, we launched the booth before uh, um the pina, de pina de rio, rio. we you know, we it, we, were, we went to two three years you know on the pina de rio then we went we launched pdr and that was you know we got it in i mean think about it like a a long term premium cigar for that was retailing for four fifty. You know, was 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 uh we launched it at a really aggressive price point, uh, in a box, uh, smoked great, uh, medium body, and um, we got you know it blew up. You know, we within a year and a half we had about over a thousand retailers selling their cigars.
1: Amazing. So, Amazing, and then so from there you started to grow, and you had your own factory at that point?
3: Yeah, the factory was small, and we were just like growing so fast that every every six months we had to like move, you know. So uh, we moved to like another spot, then another spot within three years. In 2013, that's when we moved to um, 2012, 2013. Well, 2012 was when I got the building, and then took me about a year to to, to get everything in the building at the free trade zone in La Palma, where Hochi Blanco is. And uh, Hochi called me up one day He said, hey, you know, you're getting big. You really need to look at getting into free trade zone. And and uh, um, I got a building that I'm not using. Here it is. You know, you can rent it. You fix it up. And, and he helped me out and gave me a hand. And uh, we moved in here, and we've been here ever since.
1: There you go. And certainly you've expanded the line. So in that time that you've grown, you started with – Essentially, it, it, and give me the, what was the name of the the breakout cigar one more time, uh, the PDR. When you went to PDR, that first breakout cigar,
3: it was called uh, PDR eighteen seventy eight uh, Maduro, um, Cubano especial. Um, so it's called it was very I used to use these very long names now I try to shorten everything <laughs> right exactly
1: squirrel Kap Maduro. keep it keep it simple so yeah, at that keep... point you you really started there and then you started expanding the line but what were at the time were you uh what were, what were the biggest challenges uh at the time was it getting the raw materials getting rollers you were expanding at a at a tremendous rate but what was what was the biggest challenge at the time?
3: I, a lot of it was a uh, cash flow because as you grow quick you know you have to invest you know and and you're selling a lot but you have to buy buy the tobacco invest in the rolling uh, right age the cigars and it's, it's a cycle you know right so that and then getting the tobacco so um, that was the biggest issue you know that and starting small from scratch where you you know I'm not, not a millionaire, millionaire. The guys that I worked with, uh, my partners at the time, because uh, I bought them out. I only have one. one brother left who has like 20% of the factory only, not the US operation. Right. Um, you know, at the time, you know, they had New Orleans and, you know, they put in what they could and I put in what I could and we were all just helping each other out, try to grow the business. Um, the growth was very fast. So it's just trying to keep up with the growth. You know, it was tough. <laughs>
1: right and, and and everybody thinks hey you're growing so you're selling all these cigars so everything must be easy but as you said in order to make those cigars you have to have the raw materials because from the time that you buy the raw materials to the time the cigars made and then you age the cigars, there's a long there's a lag time. It's not as if you say, Okay, I buy the tobacco today, I roll the cigar tomorrow, and then the next day I go and sell the cigar and I get the money the next day. There's a there's a lag time. I mean from the time you buy that tobacco, you may have that tobacco sitting in that in your factory, in your warehouse for three months, six months, a year, you roll the cigars, then could be th- 30 days, 60 days, then you ship the cigars, then you get paid. So it's that old, it's a catch-22 because yes, you're growing and you have more sales, but then you need more uh, uh, more capital to be able to fund that growth and that's always a difficult. And it's, it's not just you, it's happened to other manufacturers in Honduras and Nicaragua that everybody says the same thing. So was that a surprise that you say, hey, we're selling all these cigars? But man, the cash flow's getting tight. Was that was that kind of an unexpected surprise, if you will?
3: Yeah, because it was not a slow organic growth. It was just like a very
1: fast pop. And then when we got started
3: getting articles on Cigar Aficionado, cigar journals, you know, getting high ratings two thousand thirteen. Two thousand fourteen I got number ten well, two thousand and thirteen I got a number nine cigar of the year with a, with a cigar that I made for Gurkha. Hundred twenty fifth and then I got 2010 number 10 and then I, I made cigars for La Palina. They also got, you know, top 25. I, I, I made cigars for a lot of people They got, you know, a couple of few guys that they got top 20 and then um, it was just a lot. It got really big, really massive. Um, you know, I had to really, to be honest with you after that, and then FDA came in and then that kind of like, you know, slowed down everything real quick. So when right. you're like, bringing all this debt on top of you and then trying to grow. And then next thing you know, the faucet just shuts off. Right. You know, it's, uh, you know, certain people can go out of business
1: <laughs> and yeah, I was well, able
3: to, to survive it. So we restructured, took us a few years to restructure everything. Now I'm gonna, to a point that we're, you know, managing it very well. Uh, then and the pandemic also had to, right. we had to restructure everything again. Um, two times, um, you know. I'm in a, a very comfortable spot, spot now. So I'm not looking to do more, more uh, in the sense th- of growing the factory to the way it was, where we were like 900 employees. You know, now we're-
1: Wait, not, you said 900 employees now?
3: We got, no, no, no not now. We were- We
1: were point, almost at 900
3: employees, you know? Okay. So now we're at uh, three something. Okay.
1: So, so it's manageable. Producing. Is a
3: ma- more manageable, yeah. you know. I learned a lot from when I got, I got, got into Pro Cigar. Uh, yeah. Now it's been six years that so I've been a member of Pro Cigar. I got, got more closer with Castillo and Lido and a lot of the more medium sized guys. You know what I'm saying? At one point, I was producing more than all of them. And, and then and they told me, it's like, you know, you got to be able to control it because the right. problem gets so big and massive. Either you have to be like an altus, this in general, to get this right staff have to help you run everything. And if you're trying to do yourself, it's very hard, you know. So um, it got out of my hands a little bit, and now by me reducing, reducing it, to it to the way I am now, back to more of a controllable, manageable production, where I can walk the floor, taste all the cigars myself, go through all you know all 30 tables myself. I have about now 35 pairs, and I think we're. We're fine with that. Maybe I'll get up to 20,000 a day, you know, 4 million cigars, and I think that's where we're going to cap it. And then
1: so your just, 4 million cigars, what was at your peak, Abe, how many cigars did you manufacture at the factory?
3: I think we got up to, like, 8 million. That's big.
1: That, that's huge. So, you know, I'll never forget, I had a business mentor that told me one time because I remember saying, yeah, grow, 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 and he said, let me tell you one thing. Remember this, bigger is not always better. And I didn't really understand that, because I said, no, 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 you wanna get big, you wanna keep growing. And he said, there comes a point where it's a point of diminishing returns. And he said, the other thing is, there's a point of diminishing enjoyment. And I never forgot that, because he had grown his company, he's in the pool business, and grew, grew his company nationally huge, and he paired it back, and he said, we got way too big, couldn't control things, and he said, I wasn't enjoying it anymore he said, when I started this company, I enjoyed it. And he said, we decided we're going to pull back, become more regional, dominate the markets that we're in. And he said, now we, we make a better product. We can service our product better. And he said, it's controllable. The employees I have, I trust, they know what's going on and I'm enjoying operating the business more. And he was, I was, once he said that it kind of kicked in and, and I'll never forget what, George Padron told me way back in the boom, and I said, George, you guys can go in right now and you could probably triple the number of cigars that you make, no problem. How come you haven't doubled or tripled? And I remember his father was sitting there, uh, the late Joseo Padron, and his father, you know, uh, 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 George translated from English to Spanish, and his father uh, uh, said, replied in Spanish, and then George translated, and his father said, Look, Absolutely, we could double or triple, but we would lose the quality. Our name is on the product. And if we do that, we would not have the same type of product. We would lose control of the product. We would just be in it for making the you know millions of cigars. And he said, I'm all about, I never looked at the money. He said, I always made sure our product quality was number one. And even to this day, Abe, and you know the Padrones very well, you know that they easily, If They have the demand to double their production. They never have. They've always managed it, and I think you're in the same boat now where you've looked at it and said, yeah, we've been big. We've made 8 million cigars, and now we're going to pair things back. So do you find you're enjoying the factory and enjoying the business more today than when you were at 8 million a number of years ago?
3: I have less headaches. (laughs) I'm enjoying (laughs) my life more. uh, It's... uh, Uh, when, when I was doing eight minutes a I wanted to pull my hair, and I did not enjoy what I was doing. Definitely, right. and it was getting out of control. So it's it, it's the thing. It's like you you want to be Budweiser, you can be Budweiser. It's up to you. Right. Be a small brewery, small brewery, then be a small brewery, brewery, and then have a life and and provide quality products for everybody day in day out. So I need to be able to also have a life and not have the stress. The older you get, the stress just, it's not good for you, you know? So back then when I started, I was, what, 28, 29 years old? old. Now I'm 46. So um, I just, I, I want really to enjoy, enjoy my life more, more. And I think it's more, more controllable and I'm happy. And the consumers are really enjoying my cigars more now than before. Uh, the rebranding was, was something I needed to do to just, for people to forget what I did before um bringing back to the original blends everything is going back to the original blends that i made me big um, um simplifying things simplifying the, the suppliers uh before i used to grow here do this, this do the, all this co oping and had like 30 different farmers and, and all this stuff and handling farming and handling you know sorting and had you know about 200 women to, sorting tobacco and all that stuff and it was just it was a lot it was a lot you know oh, it, it's now, now i you know, I can walk the floor of my factory within 35 minutes, 40 minutes, come back, call, do Zoom calls, do presentations, manage my sales from here, and I'm relaxed. And and, and I rather, I'm happy. I'm happier now than before, and and um, I think now, whoever's smoking my c- cigars now are more, uh, I think they're more happier with what I'm producing now than, than what I did before. Before, you I, can see my cigars everywhere. Yep. Uh, but but I'm going to be up front with you. Was was the quality there? Was I, I think we were doing good product, but it's I don't think it's compared to what I'm doing now. You know. Well, I'll, I'll give of.
1: you a perfect example of that, Abe. Uh, it, we featured the PDR Cigar Portfolio Sampler for our April 2021 Cigar Dave Officers Club Selection. We featured the A Flores Gran Reserva de Florado, the PDR 1878 Recordando a Santiago Sun Grown and the PDR small batch exclusive. And I will tell you that the response we received from our members was huge. Many of them said, I'm not familiar with these cigars, but I gotta find these cigars because the quality, the construction was phenomenal. And I will tell you that the Sun Grown, we did in the Magnum size, absolute, a truly beautiful, very approachable cigar. Nice touch of spice, some peppery notes. It was fantastic. The packaging is beautiful, the band, the construction. So I would agree yep. with you. You made great cigars before, but I think now you've just taken it to uh, an exceptional level. No ifs, ands, or buts. Let me ask you, you, you mentioned La Polina, and I know that you made cigars for them, and you made some c- cigars for other uh, uh, wholesalers and other manufacturers and, and resellers. What were some of the other companies that you made cigars for?
3: I made cigars for um, Christoph, I um, made cigars for uh, Biahe I, I still make a few cigars for Biahe uh, uh, But now I just limit what I do for private labels I I'm more picky and choosy. before I was just like whoever showed up is like okay let's make, make it you know? sure we'll make now, it. Right. Now, now I'm like nah it's it's just somebody I'm like okay I'll make you x amount out, you know a Gurkha I was, I was doing a lot of stuff for Gurkha and I you know I think the portfolio I do now for them is just I do the Gurkha Ghost Gurkha Ghost Gold and then the 125th and, and that's it and just keep it with three lines and with that just those three is, is a lot
1: I'm telling you, oh this like huge a- well I, I can tell you i remember when the ghost was launched and uh uh kaiser uh, kaiser Sodi at the time you know mm-hmm. he gave me a blend i said this is phenomenal and i said i think you're going to sell a ton and boy he did, and they still are selling a ton. And the Ghost Gold, same thing. We launched that actually in Buffalo a number of years ago. And the 125th, spectacular. So you hit it right on the head. Instead of you're making quality cigars and you've got, gotten more into the Padron mode where your attitude is, I want to make great cigars. I don't want to focus on numbers. I don't need to make 8, 10, 15 million cigars. And you mentioned Pro Cigar. And I, let me just tell our, our our many uh, listeners, what Pro Cigar is. It's a trade organization of manufacturers in the Dominican Republic. So you mentioned Carlito Fuente that's in there, the casadas that are in there, uh, Hanky Kellner from uh, Tabacos Dominicanos. You're in there. Uh, Lito Gomez. So really it is the manufacturers. And what's amazing is that you're all competitors, yet you are all working to make the Dominican Republic known as a mecca of cigars, promoting the Dominican Republic, and you do a great job of doing that. And and I've always said what my first trip to the Dominican Republic was, I don't know, 20, maybe 24, 25 years ago. And I'll never forget uh, at the time we went to this restaurant and all the manufacturers were there. And I couldn't believe it. Like, every manufacturer that's making cigars and competing, they're all there socializing at dinner, smoking their cigars. And I and I was with Carlito Fuente, and I said, Carlito, what really amazes me is that you're all competitors, yet you guys all socialize together. He said, listen, he said, we do compete, but if ever somebody was in trouble, if somebody had a fire or somebody had an issue, every one of us would step up. Because, yes, we compete, but our job is to promote the cigar industry as a whole. And that's very true, and I think... Your exhibit A, where they brought you in, and they've kind of guided you and give you advice on how to make a better company, how to how to run a better company. And most competitors in other industries would say, "Hey, let the guy fail." Total opposite in the cigar industry, especially in the Dominican.
3: No, we're we're very. It's a very tight group. Um, um, it's not so big like um, like in Nicaragua. Their, their association, our association, is is a tight, tight little group we're about 10 and uh, um we all help each other out uh we're all friends even the, uh, outside of pro cigar we're all friends um, um and we're always there if you need bunches or if you need tobacco, tobacco and whatever we're, if i have it i'll help I you out you know, we're all help each other out so and we, we all guide each other in the way and give us, ourselves our advices you know so um you know for me traveling tra- with hanky and, and learning a lot from him that's part of the reason i like and, you know, we changed everything with the name to PDR now stands for PUDOS Dominic- Dominican Republic because, you know, listening to Henke a lot and his gospel about the DR and being part of Pro Cigars, about promoting the Dominican Republic. And I just felt that I grew a lot in my business and myself that, you know, I I, I really need to represent my country and my, my, my cigar and my my group of people and my my organization and for me to have Pina de Rio associated with us it's not it's not right I think we I need to promote the Dominican Republic and that's what I'm focusing on more and more every day and in becoming more of a global brand um, and that's another thing that Hanky helped me out a lot too to not just focus on the United States focus the longevity of a, of a company is to try to become a global product not just a us product or not just a product sold in switzerland or whatever you know you need to be in asia you need to be aware i'm one one of the four many five manufacturers that can have the cigars in china China. you know we're from the dr you know um and that's an honor that we got
1: that i got about two years ago and how did how was how did that come about
3: um china China tobacco uh uh, came the the monopoly has been coming here for years and um you know they wanted the top manufacturers to be for them to accept to be able to import, and they visited all the factories here. And then, you know, they they selected me and Chi Blanco and Lido Gomez and Carrillo to join. Um, they gave us quotas, quotas, and gave us contracts. And you know, we're one of the few companies that can sell over there. So it's uh, they chose us. We're very honored that we got that. Um, you know, something something that, uh, that I'm very proud of that I'm also in the Asian market. And it's,
1: you know, I already, I already
3: focused on Europe for 10 years and we're doing very well in Europe. Um, and now we're Asia and then the United States is growing again. Um, you know, because we also had a downsize a lot there and now we're growing back. But also there I'm going to limit. Once I get to a certain amount of accounts, I'm going to stop adding That's more accounts. Right. So, so once I get everybody that used to be in PDR buying PDR back or the top the guys, guys who were with me in the beginning the retailers who were supporting us in the beginning then I'm pretty much gonna not take more because once we get, once we get to a point, point we can't produce as much then I to. I don't want to grow so I just want to just get to a point, point and fulfill my guys and always not have back orders and and that's part of the reason also, also with my packaging if you notice uh, it's we use this uh, MDF paper wrap colorful stuff. Because uh, the demand for wood boxes, supply chain has gone down to shit right now. Uh, right. You can't get any wood. You can't get any tins. You can't get nothing. The container that used to cost you three grand now costs you fifteen grand to ship, or now well actually now it's eight, almost twenty grand to ship from China to here. So I, I had, had to like come up with my own my own look, and uh, even the Garofalo came to me and he said that I found my. I finally grew up, and I finally found my, like my, my color, my myself in my, in my packaging and my brand. So um, it's all cohesive now. It's not, you know, before yeah. it was every box looked really extremely different from each other. Right. Now everything has a, a uniform look to it. So um, um, I'm very happy that people and, and the retailers are really enjoying my cigars.
1: Yeah, the pack the packaging yeah. is is great, Abe, and we'll we'll we'll. Pick that up in a couple of uh just a bit but the packaging is great the just the overall look of the brand and I, again when you take a look at the cohesiveness how everything kind of flows together it really is incredible you mentioned ernesto perez carillo and hanky Kellner, two of my longtime friends uh, actually i met both early on when i started the show 26 years ago and both are not only great friends, but certainly esteemed in the world of cigars. And I'll never forget the first time that I met Hanky and I went to the factory and he had a big map. And I'm sure you've seen it. There's a big map of all the growing, where the farms are and growing areas. And Hanke's got his Kellner scale of strength. And I'll never forget he was telling me he said, see this farm? They're right across from each other, but every, each farm, even though they're only a couple of hundred feet from each other, they both have different nuances in the soil, and the flavor, and, and you know, it's a, just amazing the amount of knowledge that both of them have. And the fact that they're willing to share that with you is a testament to the camaraderie of the cigar industry.
3: Yeah, I'm, I feel very fortunate that I got a good, good group of friends. and guided me pretty well and uh i mean the thing is you can grow one seed type and, and, and a lot of people <laughs> when i travel around um people come to me and it's like oh you know uh, uh the wrapper seed is different from you know is that an ecuadorian seed that that, that, that they have or is it different from wrapper from the binder and then filler it's like no dude it's the same seed, <laughs> <laughs> right you know so yeah. create your 98 or uh, same Creole, you use it for filler binder wrap or whatever it's just the way you you know the soil you got the way you set up the rows on the on the farm either really close together or really far apart apart. and if you put it far apart it's because you want to grow wrapper you want to leave that that space space, so the leaves can have room to grow and they can look pretty and have all the light that hits them you know what i'm saying and and they have room you know when when you're going going to do a farm with just filler they're much close together and you want to get more yield out of it um When you grow wrapper, that's the reason a wrapper costs so much more money because it takes so much more space and and the yield is a lot lot less. And they have to spend more money on fertilizer than ever to make sure that the the plant grows nice and big and the leaves grow nice and huge so they can get good wrapper out of it. That's the only difference. But it's the same same seed. You know, know? Creator 98 used for wrapper, Creator 98 for for filler. Mine is the same seed. And some people don't understand that. You know, and um, I'm always teaching people that. Uh, that it's 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 not, not it's not like a seed just for wrapper. You know what I'm saying it's a, you know it's it's a seed used is a tobacco tobacco seed is tobacco seed. It doesn't matter. You know it's it's used for everything. You know, and you can grab that, that seed and grow it in Navarrete and then grow that same seed, grow it in Mao, and then that same seed growing in Jalapa, and grow same seed growing in Condega, yeah. and that same seed grow in Nicaragua, and it's gonna taste different in in every place you grow it. It's going to have a little bit of, you know, it might might be a little bit softer, might be a little spicier, might be a little bit creamier. It's going going to to change by soil. soil. It's going to change by region. It's going to change by, you know, that side of the mountain has different, you know, uh, pH. That side of the mountain has, you know, more, you know, volcanic soil, that side. It changes. So for me, I had to simplify a little bit of suppliers and the, the growers that I use now and pick the tobaccos that I like and the techniques that they're using and the soil, soil that they're using or the farms that they, that they have that I like the most and I just focus on that and that's the reason you have to have consistency and that's the only way I can just now provide more consistent production because I simplified now regions, zones, zones and farmers that I'm using to be able to give a consistent product to day in, day out.
1: Part one of our two-part Cigar Masters interview with Abe Flores. If you have not tried a PDR cigar, do yourself a favor, head to your retailer, pick one up. Abe makes exceptional cigars. Next week in part two, we will talk about the PDR lineup, the portfolio, some new cigars, some changes he has made along the way. Don't forget, make sure you subscribe to The Cigar Dave Show and our brother, Bold Alpha Podcast. Give us a five-star review. Write your comments. Don't forget, send me an email, Cigar Dave at CigarDave.com. Follow me at social media: Twitter at Cigar Dave Show, Facebook Cigar Dave, and Twitter and er, Instagram Cigar Dave. Cigar Dave, the general saying: Mayor Humidor always be full. Mayor Cutter always be sharp. Mayor Ash be extra, extra long. Semper Delectatio. Always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Live it up.